And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this episode of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We're coming to you live from our radio and television studios here in northwest Pennsylvania, where it's cold, boy, I'll tell you. But nonetheless, spring is coming, right? Folks, we broadcast live each and every weeknight. That's Monday through Friday, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Global Star Radio Network, and also on YouTube Live. You can watch us right there. It's right there. We're right there. And also on BTR, you can find us last year. I was just telling our guests last year, 114 countries downloaded um, our broadcast, and we had 78.25 million, I gotta be precise with it, but 78.25 million downloads of our program last year in 2016, and that's just on two of the three venues, so that, that's a really a, a pretty decent number. And don't forget, we've got two separate websites, hagmanreport.com, two ends, hagmanreport.com, there for news, information, analysis, things you need to know, and of course, for the show itself, HagmanandHagman.com. Uh, there you can get the different venues and access our show, show, uh, uh, schedule and such. I'm Doug Hagman at the helm, fellow investigator researcher. My son, Joe Hagman, together we are the Hagman and Hagman Report. So excited to have our guest on tonight. The guest that, that we're bringing you tonight, I gotta tell you, this, I've, I've, <laughs> I love this guy. I love what he writes. And I love the fact that he has a very interesting history. Um, David Horowitz is our guest for the first hour. Now, he, Mr. Horowitz, if you know, you know him, right? You know him via his website, frontpagemag.com. That's frontpagemag.com. Well, you know, he grew up as kind of in the, he's an American conservative writer right now. That's what he does. However, uh, and he's the founder and current president of the think tank, uh, the David Horowitz Freedom Center, editor of the Center's Publication Front Page Magazine. By the way, but uh, and director of a site that I use all of the time, Discover the Networks. That's the most valuable tool that I've ever used on the internet when it comes to ferreting out these. What uh, anybody, any information, it's invaluable, and I thank him every time I go to that website. I just want to just give him a handshake because that is an extremely important website, Discover the Networks, but also frontpagemag.com. That's his home. And you know what? Uh, I talk about books all the time, right? But the one book that I can recommend, do recommend, is David Horowitz's book that was just released on the 17th, Big Agenda, President Trump's Plan to Save America. You think he can do it? Absolutely. And, you know, Mr. Horowitz is going to be talking about that. Before we get to our guest, I do want to mention that I am proud. I'm very proud to say that, well, Portions Ice Broadcast brought to you by Indochino. Have you heard of Indochino? Indochino.com. This is where I get my clothes from my suits. Joe, just starting up, and it's an easy process. It's fantastic. You can get... uh uh, just tremendous shirts and suits. That, I mean, it's amazing. Tailor made. You you, you uh, watch a video on Indochino.com. You yep. do your measurements as you follow their instructions. Yep. And then um, 
the ordering is very simple in it, and it's nice because they give you lots of options from the kind of shirt you want, the kind of fabric, the kind That's of right. design, from the I sleeves like to the collar yep. to uh, even your initials. Yeah, on monogram. The shirt. Yeah. Right here. Yeah. And so, uh, place my first order today. Yes, Indochino.com, Indochino.com. But without further ado, let's get to our guest, Mr. David Horwitz. Mr. Horwitz, thank you so very much for joining us tonight. Thank you both Man, I'll tell you something. Uh, we are in some crazy times, and uh, uh, your your book, uh, the uh, big agenda. Your book, big agenda. Of course, um, what uh, or President Trump's plan to save America? You know, everyone knows about Donald Trump's agenda, and that's to drain the swamp and clean up Washington. Now, here's what I want to know, and I'm sure our our listeners want to know this and viewers want to know this as well. How does your book, Big Agenda, move beyond that with new revelations? Well, let me say the first thing. Uh, conservatives have recognized that we can't win the so-called war on terror unless we name the enemy. You have to know who you're fighting in order to win it. Uh, and, and other people have to know who you're fighting in order to win it. Um, well, the same goes for the Democratic Party. You can't treat these people like, uh, you know, like they're John F. Kennedy's or they're actually liberals. Uh, there's nothing liberal uh, about so-called liberals. They're bigoted, um, they're vindictive, uh, and they're dishonest. And a lot of my book is about what the left is up to and how Trump is confronting it. Uh, I'll give you an example. To me, the uh, seminal moment in the campaign was in the second presidential debate when Trump turned to the camera uh, and said, Hillary has tremendous hatred in her heart. And he was referring to this statement of hers that his supporters belonged in a basket of deplorables. And then she named them. They're racist, sexist, homophobes, Islamophobes xenophobes, you name it, she said. Uh, and that's the way not only she sees us, but that's the way the Democrats as a whole see us. There isn't a conservative within reach of my voice who hasn't been in an argument with a so-called liberal who hasn't been called a racist, a sexist, a homophobe, and so forth. Uh, now, Trump not only understands this, but Unlike other Republicans, he's not afraid to confront it. What other Republican would have said of Hillary Clinton uh, on national TV, where actually it was before probably 80 million people, uh, that she has tremendous hatred in her heart, although she obviously does. And that, uh, what other Republican that you know uh, would have said to Hillary Clinton's face, again on national TV, you're a liar and a crook, even though she was both, and that should have been a disqualification right at the start from uh, being president. Republicans are intimidated by the Democrat attacks. The Democrats' character assassination is their principal weapon. There is no Republican that they consider to be a serious threat to them that they haven't defamed, demonized. Look what they did to uh, Jeff Sessions in, the, in these hearings. They're probably the most decent man in the Senate. Um, I, I happen to know him. I've known him for 20 years. Uh, somebody who, uh, you know, as a Republican, first of all, in the Democratic South, 
Remember, the Democratic Party is the party of segregation. But as a Republican in the South, he uh, acted to uh, desegregate the schools, to prosecute the Ku Klux Klan, and they portrayed him as a raving racist. I mean, it's just disgusting. But Sessions is going up there knowing that Donald Trump won't throw him under the bus. That is hugely important. A lot of my book is about these virtues of Trump that don't get enough uh, credit. People are too focused on policies, and they're not focused on, on the actual fight. How important is this? Well, what's the background to Trump's candidacy? In 2010, Republicans won the House in record numbers. In 2014, they increased those numbers. Now, the House in the, in the Constitution has a very important place. That is, there were only two checks on a president like Obama. Only two checks. One is impeachment. And nobody's going to impeach the first black president, hardly no matter what he does. And the second, the second is the purse. That Congress has the power, the House has the power to stop Obamacare or any of his other programs by not providing the funds. But they didn't do it. Why didn't they do it? Because they were afraid. Afraid of being called obstructionist, afraid of being called racist, and so forth. Donald Trump is not afraid. That's the most important thing you need to know about him and why he will, he's prevailing. I mean, look at, isn't it incredibly refreshing, not to say startling, to have a politician get in office and the first thing he does is he, he tries to come through on his promises. He actually does come through on his promises, one after another. It's just a new day in America. I'm thrilled, as you can tell by this. And you, my book is just full of this, this kind of insight. Big agenda. And, and folks, and, and I, and I like that because it is not, it is, it's not just informational, but inspirational when you read Big Agenda, folks. And, and this, I, I, I would urge everyone, anyone who reads, any books whatsoever, Big Agenda by David Horowitz. I, I would urge everyone to, to seriously, if you're listening to this broadcast, and if you like David Horowitz, or it doesn't matter, the message that can, that's contained within Big Agenda, the information, the amount of information going past what you're reading now, the insight, special insight which she provides, fantastic book, and it's it's got great guns on Amazon. If you uh, uh, if you go there right now, it's uh, taken Amazon by storm. Actually, it's in the top. Uh, uh, top percent on it's number one in political science and uh, social science sciences, and it's in the top right now. It's in the top one hundred of all books published on Amazon. So, cooking. Yeah, <laughs> go figure. So Horowitz, there it is. I, I got a follow up question to what you just talked about, uh, and I've been asking pretty much all of our guests uh, who talk about the, the political, what's going on in the world of politics. This because maybe this is new to me, and um, I'm not. I'm, I'm an optimist, and I'm not one to to um, be on the negative side of things. But what I see with Trump is a lot of people, uh, especially on the, the Republican side, who supported Trump feel like he has gotten in, and he is following through on his, on his promises. And it almost seems too good to be true. And maybe it's just me. Um, Take him to give, the woodshed, Mister. Yeah, do you have any thoughts on that? Take him to the woodshed. Yeah, um, yeah, it's not too good to be true. What it is is that. For 30 years, Americans are uh, 
tremendously tolerant and always willing to give the benefit of the doubt. So all the crazy things the left was saying, all their agendas, the conservatives' first response, uh, or I would say just a broad mass of Americans, is, okay, you know, let's see where this goes. But if you feel this kind of pain, you know, I don't see it. I don't see I mean, they're playing around these terms like white supremacy. I mean, this is lunacy. These people need to be locked up in a mental institution for using such terms. But the first response is, okay, you know, let, let's see if they feel that they're being oppressed. You know, we'll go a, a, a length. The second thing is to treat it as though it's just ridiculous. This is just lunacy, and we'll make fun of it, like political correctness. Political correctness is a term invented by Mao Zedong, the biggest mass murderer in human history, and it meant the Communist Party line. So if you, and by the way, all of this is in my book, Big Agenda, but if you, if you deviated from the party line, uh, they first they expel you, you lose your community, you have no friends, you're completely cast out into the cold. Now look what's happened with the blacks who've come forward, Hillary supporters, many of them, like Steve Harvey. Here's a he was a huge Hillary supporter. He had her on his show. Um, yet when Trump says he wants to do a new deal for Black America. As a sensible American, Steve Harvey says, well, you know, let's see what he, if he's actually going to do something, because that would be very good if he does something positive for the inner city. And what's the response from the left? He's a mediocre Negro. Yeah. It's, they're just racist. And they have they're just no discretion about what they do. I mean, it's always a nuclear response. Uh and people are scared. And that's the third response. Conservatives get out of their way. What, there was a, why did the, the Republicans didn't defund Obama's terrible programs when they had the majorities in the House is very simple. They're afraid of being called names. They're afraid of being called racist and obstructionist. Trump, Donald Trump's not afraid. And he's not going to back down and he's not going to throw his allies under the bus. And that's that's huge. And why do I, I think that he's going to come through on his promises? Well, I always thought this, even when at the beginning uh, of the primaries, I mean, you didn't know. I mean, he was such, uh, seemed like such a loose cannon. I thought to myself, what has this man done with his life? He spent his whole life building the name Trump. He puts it on the buildings. He puts it on the airplanes. He puts it on the resorts. This man cares about his reputation. Therefore, when he makes promises, he's going to deliver on them. Because he doesn't want to be seen as somebody who reneges on his promises. Uh, so I, I have great confidence in him going forward. I happen also to know that his two key strategists, uh, one of whom is a protege of mine, uh, in the White House, and so I've got really great confidence in. Do, 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 are, can you do you, do you feel comfortable naming who that is, or? Oh, Bannon and Miller. Okay. Steve Miller. Steve Miller is he's only thirty one now. He's the one he write writes the speeches, but he's the chief policy was the chief policy advisor throughout the campaign. Uh, he was Jeff Sessions' right hand when Sessions was 
chair of the Judiciary Committee. I, I actually recommended him for, for the job with Sessions. Um, and I worked with him since he was in Santa Monica High School. And what he did in Santa Monica High School right after 9-11, um, they were supposed to say the Pledge of Allegiance. It was, you know, rally the country around the flag. They had teachers who put the flag on the floor and walked over it. Oh. This young man, he was 17 years old, went on radio and attacked them. And actually, the first time that a school bond issue failed in Santa Monica was as a result of his agitation. And he was threatened by superintendent of schools and his principals and so forth. So this is a very courageous young man. And Bannon is a gutsy guy, too. Well, so he's gutsy because obviously he's a white supremacist, right? I, I read that somewhere. That's, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. That's completely ridiculous. Yeah. He was called an anti-Semite. Why? Because I wrote an article with my title was an attack on Bill Crystal, calling him a Republican spoiler and a renegade Jew. And they, you can, it's all over the internet that this is an example of Bannon. Bannon had nothing to do with this except he accepted the article. It was my article. And, uh, and it was, the reason I called him a renegade Jew is that Barack Obama betrayed not only Israel, but the United States by giving nuclear weapons to Iran, uh, and $200 billion, uh, to fund their terrorism. Uh, and, uh, Hillary, the guys who were responsible, uh, Obama, Hillary supported it, Ben Rhodes, Huma Abedin, is a Muslim Brotherhood operative, was Hillary's right hand. Mm -hmm. uh, and when Crystal was attacking Trump, basically he was helping to elect these people and put them back in the White House. And I thought that was a betrayal of the Jews, but also a, a betrayal of America. And I wrote that in the article, but of course... The left completely disregarded what I wrote and just took the, uh, the headline. So, uh, that's amazing to think uh, how that how that all started and, and to, to brand him as a white supremacist, uh, Ben. And uh, my goodness, and, yeah. And then oh yeah, and yeah, of course, of course. And, and so, so really, because folks, Breitbart is publishing all these alt right racist articles. There are none. I read Breitbart every single day. You can't find one. <laughs> yeah. It's just done. It's, I, we have never been in such a bad state, uh, in terms of, you know, political integrity and truth as hey, we are. Well, well, you know, you, you've been on both sides of the spectrum. Uh, uh, of course, you know, originally you were, you were on the far left. Now, of course, you're, um, uh, regained uh, sensibilities or, in the conservative, uh, arena, but, 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 it just seems like, and you mentioned this earlier, it just seems like uh, the conservatives are, we, uh, I mean, we're, and you mentioned it before the airtime, um, some of our worst attacks are from conservatives and never Trumpers, and, and my goodness, the vitriol behind them. It's just amazing. Yeah, I think they're Washington snobs is what they are. Oh, he, he, met, he didn't say small government in the campaign. So he can't be a, a real conservative. So he must be a liberal or a closet Clintonite. <laughs> now, and he's one of the first days on He's only been in office like three, what is it, three? This is the fourth day. Yeah. Uh, and he, he's frozen uh, government hiring. And you know he's going to chop away at the 
you know, the, the overgrowth of government. He could, he could chop this government in half and we wouldn't lose anything important. I agree. And, and I gotta ask you because th- this is a this is a little off script. Uh, you know, we, um, his news conference at DHS or about DHS today, uh, Department of Homeland Security, uh, it was an interesting news conference. And again, I had, uh, I had, we were talking before the show. Um, I had, uh, in my office, I had one monitor on, uh, on MSNBC and the other one on Fox. And during, well, right after the, the news conference, uh, where Donald Trump said he's going to increase the, uh, border presence and ICE presence and yet families of victims, crime victims from illegal aliens and such. But right after that, uh, MSNBC cut away, I think, to the, uh, Mary Tyler, death of Mary Tyler Moore. Meanwhile, Shepard Smith, right, right after, uh, his speech just went into this long tirade about how uh, Donald Trump should be held accountable for his lies about voter fraud. Had nothing to do with the with the conference, uh, the press and conference. Lies. Well, I mean, exactly. Because you know something is not true, and you tell it. Um, and there there are no massive studies of voter fraud. Right. Uh, and the, the one that people refer to Pew Pew is a left wing uh, you know think tank. Some big deal. Uh, and the Democrats actually have done tremendous. They have just a campaign to prevent you from finding out if there's voter fraud because uh, they're calling it all, any attempt to correct this problem or investigate it as voter suppression. So, yeah, it, exactly. It's just, it, it, it just it blew my mind. For Trumpers is, it, it, it's, it's a lesson in human character, and that is you make a big mistake. But think of all the things they said about Trump. Uh, he was so undisciplined. He wasn't going to win the primaries. If he did win the primaries, he was going to lose the general election. It was going to be a landslide, and he was going to take down all the down-ticket seats, and he, he couldn't control himself, and he didn't listen to anybody. Every one of those things totally exploded by the election. But they it's so difficult for human beings to admit they're wrong, so they're just digging in deeper. And the same thing with the Democrats, and that's why the Democrats are marching off the cliff now. Here you have a party which has been rejected in part because of its racism, because it wants to divide Americans according to race, gender, sexual orientation. People don't want that. So who's up for, you know, who is the top nominee to be uh, the new DNC chair? Keith Ellison. A Louis Farrakhan racist, a protege of the Muslim Brotherhood for crying out tears. Go ahead. I'll let Keith Ellis in your DNC chair. That, that'll get you more votes. <laughs> it's so stupid. But it's, they just can't say, yeah, we were wrong about this. We got to rethink it. We've been too intolerant. Uh, and the American people don't like that. No, you're exactly right. And one of the things that we've seen um, that's been most surprising, and you touched on this a little bit, is the, uh, the rhetoric and the disconnect of the mainstream media. Um, and it really picked up from the inauguration. You know, we had Chris Matthews call his inauguration speech Hitlerian. Yeah. Rachel Maddow said it was dark and militant. And Hitlerian, you talk- he used the phrase America first. That's yeah, yeah. And it happened that Charles Lindbergh formed an organization because he didn't want us to enter the Second World War. Big deal. 
You know, that's like, what is that, 70, 80 years ago. It oh, is yeah. so crazy. No, it's any excuse to call him Hitler. Yeah, and it's, oh my goodness, when, when some conservatives even suggested uh, that about, uh, uh, well, I, I don't think many called, uh, Obama Hitlerian or, or, or suggested or made comparisons to Hitler, or at least none of the reasonable ones, but, but, uh, just compare the current environment against our current, uh, president versus the, uh, environment against Obama. But, uh, Joe, you're, I, I think I interrupted you. Uh, no, I was just gonna, gonna ask, um, the, the media, I mean, it's understandable to see, you know, protesters and uh, the left, the people that have been divided and, and see no reconciliation to go off into the, uh, the lands of extremism, uh, you know, rioting and uh, shouting down supporters, being violent. But the media um, has been so, it has changed, has morphed into, um, you know, spewing off their own, um, putting their own spin on, on news, not even reporting the truth as it is. But, you know, doing everything they can to come against Donald Trump. Do you see this political war continuing at this pace? Uh, oh, or do you see it settling down? It's going to escalate. Uh, and, uh, what the, this book I've written, Big Agenda, Trump's Plan to Save America, is a manual for conservatives on how to fight this war. Oh, that's and, what we need. It's very important because what, what's changed America is the grassroots. It's all those people who were probably out of the political process who came and voted for Trump. And so it's ordinary people who are going to make a huge difference here because Trump doesn't have allies in the press. He doesn't have allies in the literary culture, in the Hollywood culture. Uh, he needs the people. And this book that I've written is a, is a guide to how to fight that. And I, I think we're approaching a break. Yeah, we are. Uh, yeah. I will, I will, I would like to talk about my chapter called The Achilles Heel of the Democratic Party. Oh, we're going to do that. Yeah, you got to hear this, folks. Go ahead, Joe. Absolutely. We'll get into that right on the other side. Folks, you're uh, listening to the Hagman Report with David Horowitz. Go to his website, frontpagemag.com. Check out his latest books, Progressive Racism, and his newest book, Big Agenda, which is what we're talking about here today. And uh, he'll be with us in through the next segment, so don't go anywhere. we still got a lot of uh, important questions, and um, it's going to be a great uh, second segment as we are... Joe, I, I, we need to thank uh, Sherry and Jerry at Humanix Books as well for his for helping us get Mr. Horowitz on. Just want to mention that. We'll be right back after these short messages. Stay with us. Our second segment uh, and last segment with uh, author David Horowitz, certainly one of my favorite authors, a very prolific, very very detailed author. His uh, folks, his new book, Big Agenda. You've got to get a copy of it. It's an instruction manual for us conservatives, really, how to how to deal with uh, the other side, the opposing side. Again, Big Agenda, just out 
author David Horowitz. His website, of course, frontpagemag.com. We are so honored to have him with us. Again, our thanks go out to uh, uh, Sherry and Jerry from Humanix Books. Thank you so very much, both of you, uh, class acts both. And uh, having said that, Mr. Horowitz, got to got to come out swinging. I got to come out asking you this question. You say in your book that the Democrats, the progressives, the liberals, they've got this Achilles heel, this this soft spot. Can you explain that? Sure. The chief weapon of the Democratic Party is calling opponents of anything racist. People get out of their way. People back down uh, when they use it. Um, the, the striking thing about Trump is he doesn't. When he was president-elect, his chief strategist, chief White House strategist was being attacked as a white nationalist and also an anti-Semite. There isn't another Republican, not one, who wouldn't have thrown him under the bus, but Trump didn't, hugely important. Now, if you look, the only way to fight these accusations of racism, you can't defend yourself. There's no way to prove a negative and once you start defending yourself, you've already lost. The only way to do it is to throw the charge right back in their faces. The Democratic Party is the party of segregation. It is the party, it is a racist party. It, it has taken the Civil Rights Acts, which eliminated racial categories from regulations and laws. They spent the last 50 years putting them back in. They want a society where everybody is identified by their race, their gender, their sexual orientation, and where there is privilege for those uh, who who are designated uh, people of color. If you're a person of color, you get put to the head of the line in job applications, the head of the line in admissions, and many other things as well. Moreover, and this is their Achilles heel, what exposes their hypocrisy and their racism is the fact that they control every inner city of any size in America and have 100% control, not a Republican in sight, and they have for 50 to 100 years. I'm talking about the killing fields of Chicago, of Detroit, of Philadelphia, of uh, Baltimore, uh, the failed public schools which destroy young, mainly uh, black and Hispanic, uh, poor um, children, because they don't teach them. 40% of them drop out before they graduate, and 40% who do graduate are functionally illiterate. It's the Democrats who are responsible for the welfare systems that force people into dependency for life. It's the Democrats that are... Um, are responsible for the gun control policies, like Chicago. Yep, there's already been, what, 228 people shot in Chicago. We're still in January this year. Um, law-abiding citizens can't get a gun. They can't defend themselves. It's the Democrats who are behind these anti-police policies. They've embraced the racist organization Black Lives Matter and attacked police. Uh, it's the Democrats who are responsible for the catch-and-release policies. Dwayne Wade's cousin, mother of four children, was murdered by two felons who should have been in jail, but thanks to the liberal policies of Chicago, aren't. I can go on and on like this, but the fact is at the hypocrisy of the Democrats. They send their own kids to expensive private schools. 
the teacher union officials send their kids to private schools, but they will not allow uh, a scholarship program for inner city kids where they could find, their parents could find schools that actually teach them. And I will tell you, I mean, I, I actually am somewhat responsible for Trump's proposal of a $130 billion voucher program for inner city kids. When inner city parents, and this got buried by the press, but it won't be buried with a pre, with President Trump uh, there. When inner city parents find out, and by the way, the usual Republican voucher proposal is like $1,500, so the parents have to raise the money, and it's not enough for a really good school. The average tuition paid by taxpayers for failed public schools is $12,000 per child. When inner city parents hear that Donald Trump is going to give them $12,000 per child so they can find a school that will give their kids a chance to get a shot at the American dream, that is going to blow up the Democrat base in the in urban areas, totally. If, de- if Republicans can win 20 to 25 percent of the black vote, Democrats cannot win a national election. No. So that's why it's the Achilles heel. Okay, and, and you do talk about this in your book, uh, again, Big Agenda. Now, uh, the, the Democrats, of course, they played the race card for decades, and uh, and this is part of your strategy of how Trump could split the African-American vote, basically. This is part of it, right? Um, Absolutely. I mean, when he's going to send in, if he has to send in the troops to to secure the streets of Chicago, um, that is going to be a big boost, too. Why are there no jobs in the inner city? Well, a big reason is it's too dangerous. Uh, yeah. not, the Koreans will set up stores now. It's too darn dangerous. 6,000 blacks have been murdered in 2016, and, the, and the, it's going to go higher in 2017. And, you know, the Democrats are the ones who are responsible. Right. Right, exactly. And I want to move fast here, if you don't mind, uh, because you've got so much information packed in your book, Big Agenda. Again, folks, Big Agenda by David Horowitz. You've got to get yourself a copy. But uh, one of the things that Donald Trump was really criticized for was saying that he's going to defeat ISIS, but not really explain how he was going to do this, how he would wipe out um, ISIS. Uh, I know you addressed this in your book. How, how, how do you think this is going to play out? How is he going well, to do it? I think he's right not to tell you how. Okay. Uh, the Obama administration's idea is you tell them way in advance they're going to go into Mosul, uh, so all the ISIS leaders leave Mosul. <laughs> this is no way to defeat your enemy. Um, but the fact is that Obama's sympathies lie with our enemies, and I, I think that's so obvious from his uh, commuting the sentence of an American traitor, Chelsea Manning, who should have been shot. Uh, and um, pardoning a Puerto Rican terrorist who killed four Americans and set 130 bombs in America for a cause that no Puerto Ricans support. Puerto Rican independence, when they do referendums, it gets 4% of the Puerto Rican vote. They know when they have a good thing being part of the United States. I mean, the majority actually want to become a state, uh, and the others want to remain a commonwealth. uh, but but Obama, uh, he, you know, he shows his true sympathies this way by giving uh, two hundred or attempting to give two hundred and twenty-one million dollars to the Palestinian terrorists uh, in the last days of his uh, presidency. 
you know, it's the way I, I know that Obama's not a Christian. He's not even a decent human being. He's let 500,000 Christians be slaughtered by ISIS. He's let the oldest Christian community in the world be devastated, well, destroyed in Iraq. Uh, the cathedral in Mosul has been, had been holding sermons going back to the time of St. Paul for crying out tears. No more. And that's thanks to Obama creating that vacuum, not keeping our base in Iraq, not listening to the Joint Chiefs of Staff when they told them to keep 20,000 troops there. This guy has gotten away with murder. He has so much blood on his hands. There's 20 million refugees in the Middle East that were created as refugees on his watch. And he gets away with it because he's black. And we have this political correctness, which doesn't allow us to treat black people as equals. It's just patronizing not to hold them accountable. For the, you know, they should get credit for the good that they do, and they should be held accountable for the bad they do. But Obama is uh, Teflon. Yeah, really. Exactly. And that kind of that kind of segues into the, the other issue, too. Uh, Obama set up and Jared set up, uh, well, in the, in the State Department, set up the deal with Iran. Here comes President Trump saying, uh-uh, this ain't going to fly. And you talk about this in your book as well. Uh, what, what do you think of the Iran deal that Trump has promised to repeal? I mean, what's what are your I, thoughts openly? I think that if Franklin Roosevelt, and given nuclear weapons to Adolf Hitler, we'd call him a traitor. And that's what Obama has done. He's given the Iranian, first of all, he lifted the sanctions. He, he, they were isolated in the international community. He brought them back. He's uh, given them, what, $200 billion, uh, and a path to nuclear weapons. Uh, and he's turned a blind eye when they, uh, create, uh, these, test these ballistic missiles, which are, uh, they're not supposed to. Um, I mean, it's just, it's unreal that there was any support for this, but the Democratic Party just marches in lockstep. There were two or three Democrats who opposed this. Uh, it's just frightening. There's never been such a betrayal of America by a president as Obama's uh, Iran deal. And I, you know, I, I, Trump can undo it, but a lot of the damage has been done. You talk about uh, alternative facts. They announced the uh, the Obama administration tried to make it sound like giving, lifting the sanctions and giving Iran the nuclear weapons were preventing them from actually building a nuclear missile when the opposite was true. Um, Orwell called it double speed. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about. Uh, let's move to, to Russia. Uh, we've seen, you know, the accusations against Russian hacking in the elections, which have not been founded. But there seems to be uh, some continuity between Putin and Trump, and they seem to be getting uh, the U.S. and Russia off to a new type of relationship. Um, how does this fit into the big agenda, and does this world does this make the world a safer place? Well, first, let's notice that the same people who have no evidence that the Russian hacking affected the election whatsoever uh, are the one the same ones that are saying there's no election fraud. I mean, they talk out of, you know, two sides of their mouth. Um, look, uh, Putin is a gangster, no question about it. But he's not, um, there is no uh, global communist movement loyal to Moscow as there was during the Cold War. 
So we're dealing now with a national power, which is threatened uh, by um, Islamic terrorists. The Chechens, uh, you know, when... Uh, one can go there, I think, at least four former Soviet republics um, that are Islamic. Um, I, I think you have a new president, and unlike George Bush and unlike Obama, one of Trump's chief virtues is his judge of character uh, and ability to deal in the real world. Uh, he's not going to look at Putin and say, you know, I looked into his eyes and saw his soul the way uh, George Bush did. So the idea that there could be uh, some kind of a, uh, a comedy of interests uh, with with Russia uh, is one that should be tested. Uh, you know, the, it, it, Trump is a tough negotiator. Uh, and if they can find a common ground that will make the world somewhat safer. I, when you, the phrase, make the world a safer place, it's so dangerous. <laughs> Just, uh, I can't yeah. go too far with that. But, you know, we have what Obama has done is taken America down. He's uh, disarmed us. Uh, he, he's made us an international laughing stock. Um, nobody takes him seriously. And this has allowed dangerous actors like China and North Korea and Iran um, uh, and Russia to thrive. So who knows? We do want a president who attempts um, to create arrangements uh, that will uh, limit um, the dangers or reduce them. Let's put it that way. Reducing the dangers is better than okay. Realistic than making the world a safer place. Although it's the same thing, I guess. Well, but, yeah, and. It's interesting how, and folks, David Horowitz is our guest. He's the author, brand new book out, uh, came out on the 17th, titled Big Agenda. You've got to get yourself a copy of this. It's number one on Amazon in the political science uh, section. It's the top 100 in all books, even cooking books, cookbooks, that is. So, I mean, this shows you... uh Obviously, what a, what a great what a great book this is, and I, I'm not going to tell you personally. It's got rave reviews. Dinesh D'Souza, who was on, and everyone really appreciated his uh, uh, his time with us. Of course, gave it high praise. But uh, again, big agenda by David Horowitz. And I ask you, uh, Mr. Horowitz, the um, uh, domestically here, going back to what happened today at DHS, where Donald Trump had said, "Look, you know, immigration, illegal immigration." big priority, and you address this in your book uh, where Trump has made fighting illegal immigration a priority. Why have, and, and this is one thing, I mean, I think the answer is somewhat obvious, but um, if you can just help me out with this, why have the Democrats, the liberal progressives, why have they fought so hard to keep illegal immigration the way it is, the status quo? I mean, is it just the voting or... Two reasons is the voting, but you know, deep down, um, they despise America. Then they, they don't have the patriotic feeling that. that that's why the phrase "America First" really um, rubs them the wrong way. You can't have a country without borders, and it's very dangerous not to have a southern border. We know terrorists are coming across it. There's 
you know, whether it's uh, 700,000 or a million uh, or, or only a half a million convicted felons in this country who are here illegally, every American who suffers from that, uh, Mexican-Americans suffer the most, I would say, with the Kate Steinleys. I mean, it's it's such an injustice. Why wouldn't the Democrats want a board? Why would Hillary say her dream is for open borders? Because they're, it's, it's the fantasy they have. Um, I describe this in my book, um, Big Agenda. Uh, the left progressives, that's a crypto religion. It's, it's, it's modeled on Christianity that the world is a fallen place, uh, and that there's going to be a redemption. The difference is, instead of looking to a divinity, to redeem the world, they look to themselves. That's why they're so arrogant and intolerant and self-righteous and filled with hate. They see people who are opposing their plan uh, for this wonderful future where everybody's equal. It used to be called communism, and it was called socialism. Now it's called social justice, but it's all the same delusion. People aren't equal. It's so ridiculous. Uh, you think you can, you know, you can play basketball like LeBron James or you can uh, invent Microsoft like uh, Bill Gates. You know, the, the talents were handed out unequally. Uh, some people just waste their lives. Some people are full of energy and they make up for maybe the lack of some talent. Well, I don't have to go on. I mean, I think any sane human being... <laughs> from the age of five understands that there are inequalities. Some people have these wonderful voices. Some people are, well, you know, I shouldn't go on on this. No, but, they, but you're right. You know, they believe social justice. They're, they're horrified that Trump is undoing all the progress they made towards social justice, towards communism. Um, and that's why they, they despise uh anybody who wants to have a, a secure border. How can you have sanctuary cities? This is the way sanctuary cities was launched. I actually wrote about sanctuary cities in a book I published in 2004 called Unholy Alliance. And it was the unholy alliance between the Islamic terrorists and the, and the American radical left. Two groups, the American Civil Liberties Union and the Center for Constitutional Rights who are Extreme left wing, they are communists. Um, extreme left wing with a small c. Um, but, uh, some of them uh, probably do belong to the Communist Party. Um, but they're defenders of Castro. They're they, they're the ones who represent the Guantanamo terrorists. These two organizations, after 9/11, when the Patriot Act was put in place, organized a movement to oppose the Patriot Act, and it it got. 340-odd American cities controlled by Democrats to take a pledge to not cooperate with the Department of Homeland Security. That's what it's about. You can't inquire into people's allegiances. If you look, I, I actually printed the resolution that they got passed in all these city councils. So this is really an anti-American movement, the sanctuary movement. It's a defiance of, of uh, federal law. And it's the fecklessness and cowardice of Republicans that has let this stay in place for all these years. And I am so happy that Trump is taking them on. And, of course, our, our campuses are totally gone. 
uh, all these sanct- I'm actually leading a movement against sanctuary campuses. Uh, this is very, very basic defense of America. Yeah, it, it's and Trump did uh, President Trump. I, I got to be more respectful. He, he did uh, talk about sanctuary cities and yeah, he, the today. executive order today enhancing yep. public safety in the interior of the United States talks about sanctuary jurisdictions across the yep. U.S. that willfully violate federal law and attempt to shield aliens. And he talks about these jurisdictions have caused immeasurable harm to America and the people and the republic, and they're moving on um, changing things. So there is no sanctuary cities. Um, fund them, but they also need to prosecute de Blasio, Rahm Emanuel, all these city councils that vote to to pledge to not cooperate with federal agencies. It's called sedition. Exactly. I I don't quite understand. I mean, uh, Donald Trump did get up there today and say, we are going to command them to follow the, the law. Uh, the, you know, the laws of the United States in, in reference to the sanctuary cities. If I can just ask you one final question, uh, because sure. we're almost out of time here. Um, you write about in your book, Big Agenda, you talk about, uh, radical progressive, uh, Saul Alinsky. We, we talk a lot about his, his book, his agenda. Uh, he, who was a mentor, by the way, for Barack Obama. Our audience is very familiar with Saul Alinsky. His book rules radical, dedicated yeah. to the first radical, yeah. Satan. Yeah, well, what does I, what does Trump need to know about Alinsky, and does he know, and what dangers does Alinsky? Uh, Here's from a former radical. I remember Saul Alinsky in the sixties, and the, the one positive thing you can, say, and I've I've done an analysis of this book, Big Agenda. The one thing you can say positive about the sixties left was um, we were honest. We said we want a revolution, and we want it now. Um, uh, and what Alinsky was horrified by that. And in his book, he says they were right to want to burn the system, that's America, down. But it was stupid of them to tell people what their agenda is, which is revolution, because people will reject that. He said what you have to do is you have to infiltrate, you pretend to be moderates, you infiltrate the Democratic Party, and you lie. And the the heart of that book is the argument for lying, for a Machiavellian approach to politics. And that's what people have to understand. Leftists, you know, they're they're stupid in a moral sense, but they're not stupid people. They're very bright, and they understand that they can't say certain things without getting rejected. So they pretend to be progressives when they're communists (laughs) or Democrats. Um, and they, they're, the problem they have is they don't know when to stop. And then, and that's, you know, when you get the, uh, the Jane Fondas and the Madonnas and these idiots getting up there and, uh, you know, I want to blow off the White House. I think that's a feeling that a lot of them have. Mm-hmm. But they're, most of them are too smart to say it. Interesting take, and and uh, Mr. Horowitz, we want to thank you so very much for for coming on and and. Uh, uh, Fantastic. And by the way, we do have two copies in our studio of Unholy Alliance, which, which is another one of, uh, uh, David Horowitz's books, but Big Agenda, President Trump's Plan to Save America. Mr. Horowitz, thank you so very much for your generous gift of time and, uh, God bless you, my friend. Thank you, thank you both. It's been a great pleasure. All right, sir. Folks, uh, wow. What, what a great man. And, and th- th- just to understand that, uh, Mr. Horowitz was, uh, uh, you know, of course, mentored uh, Steve Miller and uh, 
the political advisor to Donald Trump and all that he's done, all that he's done. Policy. Has, or policy. Thank you. What did I say? Political? Political. Not yeah. Policy advisor. What am I thinking? I'm thinking politics. Um, but, you know, what, what, and I want to thank, again, I want to thank Sherry and Jerry from Humanix Books, uh, as well as John Robertson for arranging that interview. Wasn't that great? And, and yeah, it flew by too. Yeah, please let him, let, you know, send Mr. Horowitz an email and let him know, uh, that you enjoyed him on our program. Absolutely. Coming up after this next break is, uh, Liz Wheeler. Oh, and, she's a great lady. Yeah. Um, and we're going to get into, uh, some interesting subject matter from media matters. Uh, and there's even news today about media matters wanting needing help identifying journalists who are part of the White House press corps, as well as what we talked about yesterday. Uh, folks, you can go to the citizensaudit.com and check out Andrew Kerr's new article. I believe it's up there because I think John sent... HagmanReport.com and yeah. Citizens... Uh, yeah. And, and that gets into Media Matters and the funding, uh, the dark funding that is behind Media Matters trying to push for a Trump impeachment and we're going to be talking with with um, Liz Wheeler uh, about media matters, about the agenda that's behind the fake news, about the division and the alternative news media platforms that have stepped up in the face of this mainstream media insanity and can continue to report the truth and be really the only beacon for truth out there. Um, as you know, there is no real agenda aside wanting to get the truth out and wanting to see the country uh, grow and heal. So when we come back, Liz Wheeler will be joining us on the other side. Stay with us. Com. That's our home base, Hagman and Hagman.com for our show. And we have uh, just a wonderful treat for you. If you haven't heard, I can't imagine anyone who has not heard about Liz Wheeler. Liz Wheeler, she, she is a young, vibrant, young conservative hailing from the heart of the Midwest. And uh, during college, uh, she served on the board of zoning appeals for her hometown in Ohio. And by the way, not too far from where we're at right now. And was the youngest person in the city's history to hold that position. Uh, at the same time, Liz co-authored a book with uh, a number of other young, uh, young Americans about being a millennial generation conservative. Now, you know, we really take, uh, take to the woodshed the millennial generation, but now we've got a representative who really represents the millennial generation truly the way it should be. Uh, she is just an incredibly, uh, talented, very articulate talk show host, uh, of course, head and of, author. Yeah, and author. Yeah. Yeah. Tipping point with Liz Wheeler. Her website, where she can be found is in the program description on uh, from tonight's program as well as on our um, website hagmanreport.com so happy to bring on Liz Wheeler Liz thank you so much for joining us tonight thank you so much for having me such a kind introduction you flatter me sir well you should be flattered because you know it's it's not flattery when it's true and uh, you know we do our look we we do our share of saying the millennials are are really um, 
well, they're trying us, trying me at my age. <laughs> and here that's, you, a, that's kind of vocabulary for it. Exactly. You know, but, but here you come and, and you're, you're just a great representative of the, the voice of conservatism within the, um, within the, uh, 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 millennial generation. But let's get right down to it. First of all, you've got, you're, you're the host of Tipping Point. So give us a little bit of, yeah. tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. I host Tipping Point with Liz Wheeler on One American News Network. Uh, for those people listening, interested in watching, if you're not already watching, uh, you can find out where to watch on OANN.com slash Tipping Point. We're on uh, a lot of cable providers. We stream online on CloudTV.com. It's really a very fun hour every day. It's on 9 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock Pacific, so we're just about to go on air shortly after I talk to you. Uh, we talk about all the politics of the day, sort of through the eyes of millennials, definitely through the eyes of con- uh, conservatism, very spirited discussions with people on both sides of the aisle. Because I was talking about this on the show earlier, my favorite question to ask people is how. Politicians make big promises. You know, they all have their talking points, their campaign promises. But how? How are they going to accomplish this? And I don't think uh, pundits or politicians or people holding office get asked that question often enough. So I try to ask it at least once every day. Fantastic. Okay. Well, kind of kind of taking a little bit uh, from that, but moving forward here, uh, We've been hearing so much, and this would apply to you. We've been we've been hearing so much about fake news, uh, and you, you just mentioned the quick reaction narrative. But uh, this whole thing is this whole agenda the the, the 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 agenda behind all of this is it working or is it backfiring? What are we seeing taking place here in front of us, the landscape in front of us, in the larger sense? The whole the whole idea of fake news, I think, is just thought control, uh, speech control, really masked as moral opposition, if you will. I know that's kind of a mouthful to say, but the idea of fake news, I mean, everyone wants the playing field to be fair. I think that's con- that's human nature, that's fundamental human nature. When we see something that's a lie, we automatically rebel against that. So we see news that might be false, you know, a Facebook story that might be obviously ridiculous. You know, we say, hey, we don't want... We don't want to see that. That's not the right thing to do. So in come the liberals with this idea of fake news. Very uh, catchy title, I think. But really, the, really, I think what their agenda is, is they're using this emotion that we all feel as humans to want to be fair and just. And they're using this to be able to tell certain people what they're allowed to say and certain people what they're not allowed to say. And I know that might sound dramatic, but really that's the idea of free speech in, in, the, in constitutionally, fundamentally in our nation, the idea of free speech is to allow people to say things that might not otherwise be recommended that they say. I mean, free speech, the idea of free speech is to uh, protect stupid speech. Okay. Well, I- indeed. I mean, you, uh, yeah, I, I, you cannot believe I had a conversation earlier today about just that topic. Obviously, the First Amendment is not meant to protect, uh, you know, toothless speech, but uh, well, anyway, well said. Um now, the press policies, the Obama press pool policies, we're seeing some uh, substantially some some substantial changes at play here. Your thoughts on that? What's going on with all of this uh, with Obama and the press and the policy changes? Well, I mean, Obama and the press. I think we saw pretty clearly, especially when the WikiLeaks email when the WikiLeaks email came out, we saw that collusion. I'm very happy to see this pivot by President Trump and his press team away from that. I mean, that's what what President Obama did. It's borderlines on state-sponsored propaganda here. I mean, when he's paying off journalists, tipping them off, when so-called journalists, and I put that in quotes, are allowing uh, Obama's team or Hillary Clinton's team to edit their articles, I mean, that's not true journalism. That's not true news. 
what we're seeing with President Trump, I mean, I think it's great. He has four Skype seats now in his press briefing room. He called on Breitbart and LifeZet, two independent news organizations, uh, today. He calls on One American News, Trey Yinks, you know, now two days in a row to ask a question. I think it's great. The media has a monopoly, and they haven't been fair and just about it. And so for President Trump and his press team to recognize that and say, hey, this is a meritocracy, this is not a monopoly, that sends a very, very telling message, I think, for the press. Uh, no, I, I totally agree, and uh, I, I trust. I, I suspect you'll probably be in that press uh, press pool room once it gets re- redesigned and revamped. Uh, uh, reporting from the <laughs> reporting from. We'll have to see about that. You'll be the first to know. Well, thank you. You know, you've you've done so much, and folks, we're talking. Our guest is Liz Wheeler. Tipping point with with Liz Wheeler. You can find her uh, website directly linked in our program description, also on HagmanReport.com. dot um, you know, so many places to go here, but we were talking about the, the different uh, things, fake news and such. And earlier we were talking about we're talking with David Horowitz, but but let me pose this question to you: uh, Media Matters, the watchdog of uh, uh, of the Trump administration, David Brock's announcement that Media Matters, and we know that David Brock had this meeting in uh, Turnberry, Florida. Mm-hmm. You know, what uh, last or during the, the inauguration. Um, and, and you re- made reference to this, but what's the deal here with, with respect to Brock? That whole that whole left progressive thrust against uh, Donald Trump and his policies. Uh, what, what do you make? What do you make of Brock and? Well, listen, I, I have no problem with any any journalist, any media organization, left or right, wanting to hold uh, a president in his administration accountable. That's kind of our job as the media. That's certainly our job as the American people. So re- regardless of your political stripe, I mean, I was pretty, I've been pretty open on my show the last year about the fact that I supported Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton, but that doesn't mean when he does something that I disagree with principally that I'm not willing to hold his feet to the fire. So I have no problem with that premise. I mean, when it comes to media matters, I think that they've lost some credibility with their reporting. They're clearly uh, very partisan, so I'm not sure that I would take their word if they say that they were fact-checking or being a watchdog. You know, that's not exactly my go-to resource. But the idea of being skeptical, I think, I think that's a lost, uh, that's a lost ideal in our nation. That's part of what the founders set our nation up to be, and that is to pit, in a sense, the government against, or the idea of government against the people. That's why we have a government of the people, so that we can hold government accountable. So. The idea of being a watchdog, I mean, we should be doing that. I wish Media Matters had done that more during the Obama years because I think there were far more abuses there, and maybe that in and of itself discredits them a little bit. But, you know, we all need to hold them accountable. Indeed. Well, if I can ask before we get too far, and I wanted to go back to, um, you know, the fake news citizen and alternative media journalist as well. you know, we see this this huge divide growing between the mainstream media and the ideology and opinions that are coming out from there versus the alternative media. And, and us being in the alternative media, um, what advice would you have for people in the alternative media to keep going in the face of the mainstream media's lies? And how can we better um, expand the reach of the alternative media to, to give more options to the people? Well, I mean, first of all, just be honest. People want, at the end of the day, most people, most of the American people want to hear the truth. There's a reason why only six or eight percent, I forget what the latest number is, of the American people trust the mainstream media. No one believes them when we turn on the news and hear these biased headlines, hear these reports that either omit facts or twist facts so that the conclusion is something other than we would otherwise conclude here. So just sticking to the truth, not being afraid to 
not being afraid to say something that you think you might get backlash about. That's what really I think um, the American people respect. That's what I try to do on my show. I try to present the facts. I also share my opinion about what I've concluded from the facts. But that's very valuable, and that's been lost, I think. The journalists historically in our nation who have gotten the most respect are the ones who have been just presenting the facts and respecting people's ability to conclude that for themselves. That, I think, is the theoretical part of it. The practical part of it, I mean, because there is such a monopoly of the larger networks. I mean, social media, grassroots, we've seen that, we've seen that politically. We've seen that in the, you know, through the Trump campaign. We saw it years before in the Tea Party on Facebook and Twitter. I know there's some sort of censorship that Miss Wheeler, I don't know if you, you can hear us. Uh, the Skype feed seems to be having some minor problems. Yeah. And the, oh, uh, there we go. There I can we hear go. you again. All right. Sorry about that. We've had a, a crazy Internet day. I don't know what's been going on, but <laughs> our city seems to have been having problems today. Um, uh, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think we, we got most of that. Um, and, and we understand that the, the, the whole concept of, about, you know, being, being truthful and, and being fearless and, and truthful. We, we, we understand that. Um, and, and that, I guess, kind of addresses, and, and pardon me if, if you did this and we didn't hear it because of the cutouts here, but, uh, the pitfalls of the Alta Media news platforms. We need to be mindful, uh, of, of staying, what do we need to be mindful of in the, Alternative or the new media, because that's what you represent. And if you covered it, my apologies. But we, we just no, no. I, I didn't say anything about the pitfalls. I mean, the pitfalls. I think is being a shock jock is trying to do something outrageous just to get attention because you might not have that same audience that you get automatically on the mainstream network. But truthfully, it comes back to the same thing I said before. If you're honest, if you're just reporting it. I mean, yeah, we have a responsibility to be entertaining. No one wants to turn on the radio or the television and just hear boring content spewed at them. So we want to present it in an engaging way, be, you know, be exciting, be feisty. But at the same time, that honesty, when we come back to that, the the pitfall is getting away from that honesty just for the sake of getting, just for the sake of being a shock jock or just for the sake of trying to get those ratings, get that audience. Exactly. No, and I totally agree with you because we see, we see all the, the, I mean, boy. Yeah, there's the theatrics uh, that some people use that are unnecessary. Exactly. Um, You know, and it does get ridiculous. And, and we see, I mean, I hope for anybody in the alternative media that they can expand their audience due to people leaving and fleeing from watching the cable news TV. Uh, the cable TV news as well as, you know, the Fox and all the, the big ones that run news 24 hours a day because what we see from them is such a change or it's either a change or people are finally realizing that they're not being told the unbiased truth. They're being uh, given selected stories with a, a, a intentional spin. And you mentioned earlier, you know, in, during the Obama administration, during the Bush administration, there's a long tradition of um, different government agencies feeding stories to Reuters or the AP and kind of directing where the news goes instead of the news organizations and journalists um, directing where the stories go, which is the, the right um, the right way to do it. How do we get the integrity of investigative journalists back to the point where it was back in the days of Watergate and before that where journalists weren't 
afraid to do their well, job. See, and, and, and Liz, I think that the key there is investigative. Uh, there are so right. too, too few journalists are in the investigative realm anymore. Yeah, anybody can report the news yeah. as they see it. Right. On, you know, as but they I, I mean, I, I guess I would look at this just a little bit differently. I wouldn't look at this as a whole, all alternative media or all you know independent media, all family-owned media. Each of us are an individual entity. I think that's what makes that what that's what makes us special that's what makes us different from some of these mainstream networks is that we're not all under the same one one directive from from someone way high up in you know a conglomerate corporation in a sense but it it comes down to i mean we're seeing in a sense we're seeing this happen already these this lack of accountability being brought to light i mean tonight on the show i'm going to talk to james o'keefe i mean if he's not an example of what people want to see of an investigative journalist doing his due diligence and rooting out corruption and scandal, not backed by any mainstream network, I don't know what is. I mean, we saw it with David Daleiden, too, in his investigative videos about Planned Parenthood and selling and buying um, aborted baby body parts. I mean, they're out there. They're starting to gain traction. And the mainstream media is going to try to discredit them because they're a threat to their business model. But at the same time, the people want to hear that. And when we want to hear it, that's what makes that stuff go viral. That's what, that's what we listen to. Absolutely. Um, one question that's kind of out of left field. Uh, the alternative media, independent journalism, seems to be making a lot of waves on the Internet. Is there, do you have any ideas on how to break into more local markets? Because we see the same stories disseminated from, you know, the major news networks all the way down to every local municipality, uh, you know, in our country. It's pretty much the same for the most part. What's a good way for the alternative media to break yeah, into the local market? That's right. To take the, the the fight local, in a sense, as opposed to you know the national audience. Well, I mean, I guess this is going to sound cliche, but to take it really local. I mean, that's talking to your friends and family. I know they say you're not supposed to talk about politics and religion at family parties, but I would. I mean, and I guess I try to do that sometimes, mostly just when I get tired of talking about politics. But that's really who we should be talking about politics with. That's the easiest way to break into local markets to affect change in your immediate network right around you is to talk to your friends, to talk to your family. I mean, I somewhat I try to stay on my personal Facebook page away from posting politic, political things. You know, I'm not always able to resist answering some posts that I see on my feed. But, I mean, talking to your friends, talking to your family, and then you, utilize social media. Utilize social media. Go talk to local, you know, whether it's Republican groups. I used to do this actually after I wrote um, the book that you mentioned at the beginning. I would go on these small speaking tours around to the county Republican women's groups. They would have monthly luncheons, and I'd go as their designated speaker. And, I mean, that those friendships, those that support is loyal. That lasts. That makes a difference. They know who you are, and they are surprisingly powerful for how small their groups are. They can mobilize their friends, their family, their kids, their husbands. I mean, that really impacts localities, I think. Gotcha. All right. Well, um, I got to ask you this. Now, you, you said you're going to be talking with James O'Keefe. What's on your radar right now? Uh, the uh, uh, internet network, Liz Wheeler. What's on Liz's radar specifically? Well, I can give you a quick rundown of what we're planning on talking about tonight. We have a great show, by the way. It's going to be great. Uh, we're going to talk to Katrina Pearson first, and we're going to talk to her about Trump, President Trump, I should say. His very bold claim that illegal voting cost him the popular vote. You heard him say that this morning. Yeah. He said. Yeah that anywhere between 3 and 5 million illegal votes uh, caused Hillary to beat him by over 3 million votes. So we're going to talk to her about that because, you know, I, I, I believe there's voter fraud happening. We saw that. To mention James O'Keefe again, he exposed that, uh, exactly how it could be done before Election Day. We've seen dead people who have uh, been registered to vote in Chicago, thousands of them. We've seen instances 
of how easy it is to commit voter fraud when you don't have to show an ID when you walk into. I believe there's voter fraud that happens. How rampant it is, I wouldn't presume to say because we haven't studied it, but, I mean, I'm not opposed to President Trump's idea of investigating it because when Democrats say that there's not any happening and Republicans say it is, I say, well, don't we need to actually find out and see before we make these definitive statements? So I want to talk to her tonight about what exactly he has in mind to investigate. After we talk to her, we're going to talk to James O'Keefe. As you know, he released that video that exposed the disruption uh, that was supposed to happen right before President Trump's inauguration. But the ringleader of that has been arrested now. So uh, he's been pretty successful. He's getting a lot of news coverage on that. So we're going to talk about that. We're, of course, going to talk about President uh, Trump's executive orders on immigration, building that great big wall like he promised. Uh, it's going to be, and then my final point tonight, which is my monologue at the end, that's on the real Obamacare numbers, because we hear time and time again, 20 million people are going to lose coverage if we repeal Obamacare. If you actually look at the numbers, that's not true. Uh, okay, it's not true. The numbers are, are what, uh, Liz? If Do you have it handy there? Sure. Because... Yeah, yeah, I'll give you a sneak peek on this, because I did okay. quite extensive research on this. So since 2013, that's when Obamacare was fully rolled out. Right. 14 million, not 20 million people, gained health care coverage through Obamacare. Of those 14 million people, 14 million, that's 6 million fewer. Of those 14 million, 11.8 million of them were ushered onto Medicaid. That's 84% of the people who have gained coverage under Obamacare. They've been ushered onto Medicaid. If you subtract 14, if you subtract 11.8, I'm sorry, from 14, that's 2.2 million. The real number is 2.2 million people who have gained coverage under Obamacare since 2013. 2.2 million, not 20 million. And that number, 2.2 million, is far smaller than the millions of Americans who've lost coverage because their health, their current health plans didn't meet Obamacare standards. So when you, when you actually look at the numbers, when you work the numbers, when you're honest about the numbers, the 20 million numbers, plain and simple, just false. It's interesting. I heard and that, a, my friends, is how you do it. I heard just, a, a <laughs> caller on our local uh, radio talk show radio morning station uh, say pretty much the exact same thing. They didn't have the figures, but they talked about how significant the number of people who went on Medicaid or Medicare that won't get kicked off, regardless of the changes that are made. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And so this is very interesting. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but of no. those 11.8 million, I have all these statistics fresh in my head because I'm about to deliver them here in about a half an hour. Um, but of those 11.8 million people, between 2 million and 7 million of them would have been eligible for Medicaid regardless of Obamacare. So the number, I mean, it just keeps shrinking and shrinking when you dig into it. it, it that's amazing. And, and I'm so glad that you, you gave those figures out. Liz, I know that you're, we're up against the clock here. Uh, okay, so you're with, uh, you're obviously your website, uh, or your program, Tipping Point with Liz Wheeler, One American News Network. That's O-A-N-N dot com slash Tipping Point. Where, how can people listen to you? Where, just what time? What time are you live? Yeah, absolutely. I'm on, uh, every night at nine o'clock Eastern time, six o'clock Pacific. If you want to find if your cable carrier has our channel or you can go to O-A-N-N dot com slash where to watch. You can also find how to watch us live streaming online if you don't have cable or if your cable provider doesn't carry our channel. You can connect with me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Liz underscore Wheeler to ask any questions that you might have. Yeah, I, ho- I hope people tune in. Any of your, uh, any of your listeners who haven't otherwise been watching, it's always great for new people to be on board. Absolutely. Um, we, have, we have about four minutes left, three minutes left in this segment. Um, from what we've seen so far, in the five days Trump's been in office, 
I hear, I see, you know, claims from the left and from the right. Um, one of the claims from the right is that oh, Trump has done more in his first five days in office than Bush and Obama had done in 16 years combined. <laughs> Do you agree with that? I mean, uh, this is what this is what I said earlier. I think I'm going to say this again on the show too. If it's apropos, he has fulfilled or begun to fulfill so many of his campaign promises these first what is it five or six days? I don't know what he's going to do for the next four years. I was just thinking that. You know, where, <laughs> yeah. uh, how far is he going to take this? How much is I mean, is this going to be the the pace of his presidency? Um, you know, moving at at this quick speed and and being very decisive, continuing to. To do things that I mean, I wonder if there's things that we haven't even thought of yet that we don't even, uh, you know, that are far beyond our concerns right now that he's already working right, on. Right. I mean, I, I would hope so. I mean, it, it's probably not all going to be this quick because not everything's an easy fix. Getting the ball rolling is a lot more dramatic. It creates a lot more headlines than doing step two, step three, step four. But my hope is that he does continue to enact all these policies that he talked about on the campaign trail so that four years from now, when election time comes, we've seen the impact of these enough. That people want to reelect him. Yeah, and, and I, yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, before we go, the political instability and divide in this country between the left and right and the uh, violence that we've seen so far, do you think that's going to increase and does it pose a danger to our uh, republic? I mean, well, clearly it poses a danger to our republic. We saw in Charlotte, we saw in Ferguson what happens when these people protest. Businesses were burned. Police officers were attacked. I think in Charlotte, one of the protesters shot and killed another one of the protesters just awful. I mean, they set people on fire. It is a threat to our republic to have peaceful protests turn into riots. The right to peaceful protest is one of the fundamental rights that we enjoy as Americans, but when you turn that into riots, I mean, it it infringes on the rest of our right to peaceful protest because you can't have that. Do I think it will continue? I mean, the left has not seemed to change their tactic. I mean, yes, it's only been two months since the election and five days, six days since the inauguration. But they have not seemed to change their idea of identity politics, of fueling this idea that Republicans are bigots, are hateful, are racist, are the worst people. When you fearmonger in that way, and you fearmonger to an audience that's vulnerable to listen to it, they are going to be prone to violence in this way. In my opinion, it is incumbent on the Democratic Party to, to start eschewing this violence, saying that this type of violence is wrong. Do I think President Trump will tolerate it to the same level that President Obama did? No, I think he'll send. I think he'll send stuff in to stop it uh, far before President Obama did. But in my opinion, the responsibility lies with the Democratic Party to stop fueling these types of riots. Amen to that, Liz Wheeler. Uh, Tipping Point is her program, and she's got to run. She's up. Uh, she's going to be on air here very shortly. Liz, thank you so very much for for coming on with our program, or coming on with us, and uh, uh, we're certainly going to be uh, promoting your show telling people where to watch, how to watch, and uh, your website, follow, uh, having people follow you on social networking. Thank you. God bless you. Thanks for thanks for joining Thank you. us. Thank you so much, guys. I had a great time. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks Come back for coming again. on. Folks, that was Liz Wheeler, Tipping Point with Liz Wheeler. And then we want to thank the One American News Network as well. Yeah, OANN.com slash Tipping Point uh, is the website and where to find her. Or you can just go to OANN.com and under shows, find Tipping Point, and it'll take you right to her page. Yeah, absolutely. And again, thank you, One American New, One America News Network. Thank you so much. And thank you, Liz Wheeler, for, for being the, uh, really the, 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 I mean, did you see, she should, she should really be like the, uh, I could see her as the White House press secretary. I could see her doing that. In addition, I mean, or, or just a kick butt kind of 
reporter in the in the press pool there. Definitely very smart, high energy, yeah, and um, has a great show and a great handle on uh, you know what, what our, what's going on in our country and our nation politically uh, as well as um, uh, economically, and has great guests on. So definitely someone that we want to yeah. keep our eye on. It, and uh, you know, as being part of the alternative media. Well, you said great guests, and she's going to be talking to with James, uh, talking to James O'Keefe tonight, and, and but, among others. But, but that, this is where, I, in my view, and you you ask questions about the alternative media with really both the guests uh, with Liz Wheeler as well as David Horowitz. But, but I really think that we need to really. As Liz said, hold Trump's feet to the fire. Mm-hmm. Hor- David Horowitz, relatively the same thing. But we need to really be investigative, incisive, and uh, get down to dig down to the truth. I think individually and as a whole. So uh, that's my hope for all of the new media. When we come back after this break, uh, we're going to talk about some news and, and events of the day. As well as afterwards, Pastor David Langford will be our guest from 9 to 10. But don't go anywhere. We will be back with some important information after these short messages. Stay with us. Good stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. What a! I'll tell you what. If you joined us late, first uh, two segments: David Horowitz, FrontPageMag.com, his new book, um, uh, his new book out. Uh, big agenda. Thank you. I went blank there for a second. And then Liz Wheeler from One News Network. My goodness, One America News Network. I'm sorry, One America News Network. What a great! Just, just what? I mean, the high energy. The information, the energy, the the inspiration of uh, digging for the truth of a matter. And folks, if you go to HagmanReport.com, I did post a video about the Woman's March. I, I had promised last night to post it, and for some reason, I, I did post it to the uh, I posted it to our YouTube site, but then yeah, it, there was a delay. So you can go to HagmanReport.com and and check out the uh, eight minute video. Part two is coming, and part two deals with the Brock angle of things. Now, also go to HagmanReport.com and prep up because we're going to be referring to some of the matters on HagmanReport.com this next 30 minutes or this next segment. But before we get into that, let me ask, or let me just start out by saying this. I used to think anyone who had got tailor-made suits for them, you're either a snob or you're rich. Now, I'm not a snob, at least that's what, that's my story, I'm sticking to it, and I can guarantee I'm not rich. But how would you like, guys, how would you like to have tailor-made suits out there? I found this great company, and it's Indochino.com, and let me spell it for you, it's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O, Indochino.com. This is a fantastic company that, it, tailor-made shirts, suits, pants, everything, at, at, at just a fraction of the price. We, Joe and I, uh, we ordered our clothes from, and, and this is the only place, by the way, I get my suits, my shirts, my pants. It, uh, this is the most, this is the best place I've ever gotten my clothes at, ever, ever, in my almost six decades of life. Um, they make 
measure, made to measure suits. And you know, you, you go, you go to buy a suit, guys. You know, off the rack stuff. It just never fits right. And even sometimes with tailoring, it just doesn't, just doesn't fit right. But our personal experience with Indochino, it is the, the best. However they do this, whatever magic they, they, they do, it's just fantastic. All you, so the, the process is real simple. You go to Indochino.com and they, there's a video there. They show you how to measure, you know, yourself, your neck size and chest size and such. You have a friend help you, a wife or your, um, and, and it's really simple. You just insert the measurements into the, um, for the profile. You create a profile, insert the measurements in there. And you pick out the, the shirts, the pants, the fabric, everything just made to your specifications at a fraction of the price you'd get elsewhere. You get a high quality suits made to your exact measurements for a perfect fit. And, um, you know, they pay great attention to detail. Uh, when ordering the shirts, not only do you put in, you know, 19 different measurements, which, uh, is very close, thorough. Yeah. yeah. Um, they give you options like if you want lining inside the sleeves, uh, how many buttons do you want buttons on the collar? Do you want a wider collar? Do you want a shirt that has a, a small collar? But yeah, I, you, I mean, there's a lot of, you, you of can, different options from fabric to style. Uh, and, and it's, um, it's made, they make it very easy on their website. You can, you, that's right. You can choose your customizations from lapels to pleats to jacket linings and more. You submit your body measurements, you place your order, and your order arrives within four weeks. We've tried it. We love it. This is the place, guys. Indochino.com. That's Indochino.com. And this, by the way, is the best part. This week, our listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for how much? $389. At Indochino.com. That's 389. All you have to do, go to Indochino.com and just enter our code HH at checkout. So Indochino.com, enter our code HH at checkout. And folks, that's a 50% off the regular price for made to measure premium suit plus the shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code HH for any premium suit for just $389 plus free shipping. It's an incredible deal for a suit that will fit you better than anything that an off-the-rack suit ever could and ever will. And I guarantee you, you're going to be shopping there for the rest of your days. That's Indochino.com. Enter HH at checkout. All right. Um, now, a few pieces of yes, piece let's information. Get, I'm going to toss it to you because you've got some <laughs> things going here. There were um, a number of executive orders that Trump issued today. And we can go back and go through those um, a little bit to make sure we, we give you a clear picture of what's going on. Um, the Dow Jones broke 20,000 today. Whether that's significant or not, many people think it is. Many economists think it is. People you know, watching Jim Cramer today a little bit. But, okay, so, so Joe, what's the but, difference between $19,999 and 20000 And this is my problem with, with the stock market, with the, the housing market, um, you know, rising again we see rent is rising across the u.s i don't think it's so much an increase uh, or a vote of confidence in the u.s economy i tend to think it's more the dollar devaluation um, but how is, can that be because wait when the dollar devalues it costs times more to good. buy things well no times are not good come on no the ships ship our, our Smith debt times are great dollars are high unemployment I mean, Trump's doing a lot of good things, but we have to look at the damage that's been created from, from Bush to Obama, uh, when the economy, you know, Bush doubling the number of people and wel- welfare recipients and Obama doubling that again, um, you know, from NAFTA to, um, these trade agreements. There are a lot of things still 
still wrong with the U.S. economy, with the job market, with the housing market, and just about any economist I hear, even economists who are praising these numbers and praising this system, still talk about the potential for a correction into a recession or even a depression that, that's still very much on the table. And we can't discount the fact that the we don't know what what's going to happen with the economy. Are the people who, who are more in control of the economy going to pull the rug out, creating some kind of catastrophe for Trump? That's always been on, on the burner, on the back burner here. Mm-hmm. And it's a way to slow down uh, the progress he's making as president, fulfilling his promises. So I think the economy is, is one of the big indicators that we have to keep our eye on. And I could be wrong about the devaluation of the dollar, but... Well, no, that, I think that factors in. But I don't think it's the root cause for what we're seeing with respect to the stock market. Uh, in the, the phrase, folks, you remember the phrase, irrational exuberance? I think that that's at play here because we're, we do have... Um, I will say this, and you can you can throw things at me. I believe our dollar is weak now relative to, we'll say, six months ago, eight months ago. Maybe you'll say, no, the dollar is strong. But, again, the word here is relative. And when you look at everything, $20 trillion in debt, half of that accumulated over Obama's regime, his, uh, almost half of that anyway. Um, how can that ever be paid back? The answer is it can't. So you've got, to me, this irrational exuberance, which has taken, and I understand it, Joe. I mean, I do. I understand yeah, I mean, you know, an enthusiasm. The, the, the mindset. Right. And, and uh, there's an article on Dredge I just saw. Stocks gained $2 trillion in wealth since Trump. And um, maybe that is, is a, a people investing with a different attitude, a more positive attitude, seeing the changes that are happening. But when I see things like this, I'm not sold on anything because we see how, how quickly and how fast not only can stocks and, and you know the Dow Jones and the market rise in value, it can decline in value just as fast. And you know, you have those days where you you know the Dow's down three, four, five, six, seven hundred points, which have increased since two thousand till today where you didn't see drops like that before because the Dow never was that high to drop that much. But well you're right. right. But- with the rising economy <laughs> it also brings risks uh, to a much harder collapse. And, and there and it not is. Not to say that you know we shouldn't um, continue to expand and, and um, that wealth shouldn't continue to increase, but it does, if it's not a true increase, if it's not you know from the foundations up, if it's only at the very top, then that really leaves a, a, a risk of a hard right. fall. Right. And when you look at everything, and we had uh, we we spoke with James Corbett from the Corbett Report talking about the economy. And and I do think what you said there too the the um, the greater the heights the greater the fall when it does fall, especially um, the heights from the top up. Like I said, if, right. the, if the poorest and the middle class Americans are not the beginning of the foundation for the wealth growth, then it's an even bigger risk of a big collapse, and that will hurt and, the middle class and poor people the most. And the target's always been the middle class, especially by the uh, progressive left. Because and I was talking to my daughter about this earlier in in, in my office. We were talking about uh, it was uh, it was about the EPA and, and related uh, things. But but the bottom line is the government and, and people need to understand the government does not have any money. It's all our money that funds the government, and people don't really really get that. So, um, but I do believe you know as I mentioned with James Corbett, uh, we, his thoughts 
were, hey, the economy could be dumped up on Donald Trump. Just think, here, here's a guy, Donald Trump, the businessman, the proud businessman who's who built his big real estate empire. And to have the, and think about the deviousness of this, to have the economic, have an economic collapse orchestrated by the globalists on his watch. How big of a, I mean, how devious would that be? Because we know this is a house of cards. Mm-hmm. So, and you gotta wonder, you know, this, Activity is it priming the way to pull the rug out yes. under him? Um, very possibly, if they, if the global elite, if the people in the levers of control really want to put a, a marker on his presidency and give credit to you know the left wing media and these people protesting against him and why they're protesting against him, they could do it. And it's not. I mean, we're not. We'll never be out of the woodwork. And as I've been saying, I have a. a Skepticism about this administration, not so much about Trump, but about the, the almost a false hope um, that's being given. And that, like I said uh, with our guest earlier, maybe it's because for my whole life, everything we've seen has been so negative, so bad. You know, the lies upon lies, and the deceit, and the theft. Well, it, it's almost been, seems it's impossible been that way to for, see it for our, our entire lives, court. everyone's lives. Yeah, I, I mean, and that's why you know, I, even t- talking with my wife about it. Um, she she uh, is of the mindset that uh, with Trump as president, everything's going to be smooth sailing. Ain't going to happen. And I, I had to tell her, I said, you know, um, we got past the election. The big thing of the election is to make sure Hillary Clinton did not get the presidency. Right. And by the we way, I, I think... hope with Trump. And he's fulfilling those hopes uh, to a lot of people. But it's always good to remain um, skeptical to a degree because anything can happen and... You know, what we've been talking about for years is that the president is not at the top of the food chain as far as control <laughs> mechanisms for this country. So we have to remember that because and, and, those and, people are the ones who can pull the rug out economically, militarily, start wars, conflicts in other areas um, of the world as well as here at home. Um, they, you know, these people are, are at the top of the... Um, Dissemination of everything from the Federal Reserve System, which is something uh, James Corbett talked about, which will be interesting to see how um, how it's handled with this Trump administration. Under you know the Ron Paul movement, audit the Fed was a big thing, and I think that's one of the things that scared the the globalists the most or concerned them the most. If we see a push against the Federal Reserve with this Trump administration, people are going to have to keep their eyes open and their heads up because it might. Something might happen, and well, I'm not saying okay. one thing or another. But but, but that, when you hit on their main mechanisms of control and you expose the real root of the problem, that's when things start to get messy. But but I think okay, and I, uh, here's here's my assessment of things because a lot of people are upset with the Trump appointments with respect to the economic positions. Okay, the Goldman Sachs stuff. And, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, here's the way I look at it, because he's coming into this after eight years, really more than that. You've got multiple decades of decadence of of inside the economic system. You've got all sorts of... Congressional insider trading. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, okay. So if, if I was Donald Trump coming into this, and believe me, I'm not, uh, but, but if I was, I'd be looking at... Okay, I'd be doing a triage of where we need to, um, a couple of, well, what he's doing. First of all, he's the executive orders, the things that you can change right away. 
Okay, so fine, that's one thing. But I'd also be hedging my bets a tad uh, by bringing in some people like the uh, Goldman Sachs people. Yeah, I, I probably would just to, um, uh, I, I suppose it's kind of like a, what would you call it, uh, 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 kind of a hedge, if you will, with, I don't Not, know. It's, it's, the only thing that I hear that scorch is, earth thing is I can think of is keep your friends close and your enemies close. Well, yes, but, but I mean, anybody you got to pick your battles. You look at the, what's been going on with the big banks. The, you know the money laundering, the um, aggressive attacks on foreclosures, where Citibank just paid. I forget what it was uh, that the story came out yesterday. You know how many hundreds of millions of dollars due to um, faulty or, or their wrong actions on foreclosures taking. Millions of homes away from Americans, um, unjustifiably, and having to, to they're paying, you know, twenty nine cents. The, uh, yeah, right. that one, that one story about twenty nine cents on the mortgage. Yeah, you know, HSBC paying close. fines on fifty billion dollars every year laundering and drug money. They're paying, you know, ten, twenty, thirty million dollars in fines. These banks have gotten away with murder for generations, and I don't, I would not give them any credit or any stance. Except for the fact, like I said, keep your friends close and your enemies close. Oh, that's true. Now, we have some stories to hit from the Hagman Report, or HagmanReport.com, including Media Matters, uh, their comprehensive database of reports. We're going to be getting into that. But before we do, I just want to urge all of our listeners and viewers, folks, let me just say this. You know, we are looking at this and after watching in my office the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, press conference of Trump, that he held with DHS, we're seeing all sorts of things happen, and it's happening very quickly. That said, I would urge everyone to understand that just as quick as he can sign a piece of paper and change things, a disaster could strike just that quickly as well. In other words, um, he might have control certain amount of control, but we, we know that the globalists are going to be throwing monkey wrenches into the whole process. So here's, here's what I'm trying to say. You will hear people saying, well, these people, Doug and Joe and, and others, uh, Dave Hodges and Ted Brewer, oh, they're peddling fear porn. They're, it's, see, no collapse happened. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so the timing wasn't right. But see, the fact of the matter is the globalists, the plans don't change. The timing changes and some of the tactics change, but the goals and objectives don't change. So here's what I want you to do. Uh, make sure that every, make sure you're prepared, you're prepared. I don't care. Make sure you've got enough cash on hand, uh, to, to survive a, a blackout of ATMs. Make sure you've got, uh, uh, if you, well, make sure you have gold and silver. I, I mean, if if that's in my mind, I, I do believe that gold and silver, Joe. Uh, to me, if it was a good buy at twenty five or thirty, it's a great buy now, right? Um, in terms of silver and gold. The reason I say this is because you know that at some point in time, things are going to go, things are going to take a hard left, and uh, who knows? So make sure you've got food. Uh, at least a week's supply of food for you and every member of your household. If not six months' supply, that'd be great. Even a year's supply is better. I guess what I'm saying is do not rest on your laurels thinking that everything is fine because it's not. Because you know what Joe said earlier about the uh, the numbers. They're all, they're, they're fake. This irrational exuberance about the Dow. Don't believe any of that. Uh, I, I heard Shepard Smith saying, oh boy, you know, 20,000, you, uh, you should, you, 
he made some snarky comment about having a 401k and how much money you would have made today. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, that's really good. You talk about fake news, uh, in my view anyway. That's fake news. Because, but, but that's just my, I just want to plead with everyone. Please be prepared. One thing on the Dow Jones, tomorrow Stephen Menking is going to be with us, um, in the first hour for about 45 minutes. And he, uh, his website, uh, Amateur Society, has, uh, I'll post this on Hagman Report, um, during the break. Dow 20,000, a few observations. And I just got done skimming through it, and it's pretty good. I read the first two paragraphs and then skimmed through the rest. And, uh, in the article he talks about, will the current economic system collapse? He says, yes, that is still inevitable. Yeah. But he goes into more detail about the timing and President Trump trying to, um, rebuild the physical manufacturing economy and as we talked about the foundations of the economy so it can be done there was a collapse and when there is a collapse and when there is a failure um there might be a lot less debt and there might be a lot more ability to deal with it um if the billions of dollars that will be saved from you know cutting a lot of the things that are being cut go back to the american people go back into the infrastructure manufacturing sectors of the economy and i agree with his assessment from what i've read so far because um we can't have uh you know just the shell of wealth we had to as i said earlier we have to 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 make america wealthy and the people wealthy um you know from all classes you know this, the, what do they call it? Middle class, upper class, lower class, whatever you want to say. It needs to be from the ground up. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And so we will, uh, Stephen Menking will be on our show tomorrow. And that's great. The economic way. outlook, um, and expand on his article. Now, one thing I want to make sure we, we discuss before Pastor Langford joins, joins us. Uh, we've seen a lot of executive orders today, um, you know, plans to build the southern border wall giving authority and abilities back to the border patrol that were taken away from them in their own words saying giving us the tools back to be able to do our jobs um and then there's another thing uh, that has come up today which i think is just as important as the immigration issue if not more important trump prepares order aiming at global funding and treaties now there's been a few bills one specifically went through the house uh, and passed the house in a vote talking about withdrawing the United States from the United Nations. But this, uh, the Trump administration is preparing executive orders that would clear the way to drastically reduce the U.S.'s role in the U.N. and other international organizations, as well as beginning a process of review to begin to abrogate certain forms of multilateral treaties. The first of the two drafts, titled Auditing and Reducing U.S. Funding of International Organizations, obtained by the New York Times, calls for terminating funds for any UN agency or other international body that meets one of several criteria. Those organizations that give full membership to the Palestinian Authority or Palestinian Liberation Organization or support programs that fund abortion or activity that circumvent sanctions against Iran or North Korea. So, okay, in in totality, what is this package here? It is, um, well, from what people are saying, from what... uh, people inside the Trump administration are saying is that a number of these organizations uh, influence and support state-sponsored terrorism across many countries. Agreed. And they want to decrease at least a 40% overall decrease in funding to international organizations and treaties, specifically ones who support terrorism, abortion, 
Well, okay, so, so my question is, why, and uh, why not just zero it out? Why not just cut it completely? Or can't I think they it's more complicated that? than that, especially with foreign funding. You know, we have so many. Uh, the United States obviously sends more money to the, all the nations of the world than than any other country. Right. Some of it's for uh, feeding people, you know, keeping them alive in in many nations. USAID, but but yeah. my goodness, the the corruption. What they're what they're focusing on is unfair treaties whether it's with international organizations or other nations specifically those who support terrorism um then the, the mexico city clause canceling all right. funding for any um international or um overseas abortions the mexico city uh, agreement that it's interesting because uh i i believe what clinton and clinton or when did it start it started Reagan, I think Reagan started it, and then Clinton. Uh, uh, okay, Clinton was uh, didn't sign off on it or whatever. Uh, Obama, of course, was for it. Bush before him was uh, against it. But the bottom line is that to me is a huge deal, and I, I'm wondering how many people really understand the, um, the 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 importance of this with respect to the pro-life movement and and I think we'll see more on that and, and see you know and here's the thing real quick and there's an, to those like, Christians out there to you Christians out there who were really talking about Donald Trump and I'm I'm angry about this um to you Christians out there who're saying well we can't have Donald Trump do you think for one moment that Hillary Clinton would have done this and how many lives does this potentially save unborn lives that's all I wanted to say no you're absolutely right um if anything it would have been the reverse we would have saw more money going to fund abortions. We would have seen, you know, the open border policies that Hillary Clinton has called for. And probably, you know, we could have seen a morphing of the United States into a United Nations organization with the globalist mentality that she had. She'd be, you know what, Joe? They'd be wheeling her in right now into, uh, into the Oval Office. Never mind. I'm not going to go there. But, uh, and then, uh, part two of this, the second executive on. order, moratorium on new multilateral treaties. They call for a review of all current and pending treaties with more than one or other nation and ask for recommendations and wish negotiations or treaties the United States should leave. And as far as the UN is concerned, um, they say that the order reviews only to multilateral treaties that are not directly related to our national security. Right. But the funding part, um, that they talk about the United Nations and the United Nations treaties, uh, that they said our funding directly to the United Nations is billions and billions of dollars every year, and that the United Nations will have to curtail much of its work, uh, and especially the UN agencies, if the money is cut. Now, that, but that's, see, to me, that's... The United States is looking specifically for up. cutting funding for peacekeeping operations, also cutting funding for international criminal court, yep. and any aid aid to any countries who oppose important United States policies, which I think is one of the most important parts of this. Because too often do we give um, billions of dollars to nations who do nothing but try to hurt us, try to, to you know say that they're going to destroy us, say that they're going to infiltrate and, and kill our citizens. And I think that sends a very strong and clear message that if you're going to take that stance against the United States, you are not going to continue to receive you know, however many billions of dollars in funding that you get every year. And I think it will change the way uh, people and nations and people of other nations, leaders, will react towards America and, and how they will treat America. 
especially if their financial rug is pulled out from under them. So it will be interesting to see where this goes. Um, coming up next is Pastor David Langford from The Voice of Evangelism, and maybe we can get him to comment on the first few days of the Trump presidency, what he believes is going on. Uh, as Pastor Langford never disappoints, always has a great insight, spiritual insight as to what's going on in our country. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back, folks, to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. So glad that you're joining us. Thank you so much for your belief and trust in us as we walk through this minefield of current events together and uh, in solidarity in seeking the truth. Thank you. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers. We just appreciate each and every one of you. And uh, thanks for the letters, too, and the emails that you send. And and we read them all. Uh, And as a matter of fact, I just... uh, I just I just love our audience because you folks really uh every time I'm I'm down I all I have to do is take a look at some of the very kind and gracious emails or uh postal mail that we get and my goodness it, it just does warm the heart um now before we get to our guest pastor David Langford from the voice of evangelism.com who is always a crowd pleaser let me tell you uh great scriptorian I believe and certainly America's pastor, my favorite pastor. Before we get to Pastor David Langford, I just want to tell you that, you know, even with the, well, given the reprieve, if that's what you choose to call it, we need to prepare. As I said earlier in the last segment, we still have to prepare. And it, it, and praise God that we have that ability to prepare right now. One of the items that I think everyone needs to have is a seed bank at home in your pantry. We've got here at the Hagman household uh, or studios and at the Hagman household seed banks uh, from Texas ready. They are ranked the highest in the world and for good reason. First of all, they contain regionally appropriate open uh, pollinated heirloom seeds. Now, most seed banks don't take into account the geographic differences in the United States. They send you the wrong seeds for the wrong place. Okay. Hybrid seeds. They're only good for uh, one garden. They don't reproduce tree to type. That's why it's necessary to purchase stable heirloom seeds. Well, bingo. Secondly, Texas Ready uses certified seeds. Most seed bank companies don't because they cost more. And you know what? Texas Ready, as we do, think their customers are worth it. We think our listeners are worth it. And the germination rate on their seeds is just absolutely outstanding. And if you don't know how to garden, Texas Ready can help you there as well. They've got several several excellent reference books that help you grow plenty of nutrient-dense food, start plants from seedlings, save seeds correctly, and protect the genetics. And this is so important. So you don't inadvertently create hybrids from your heirloom plants. And we've met the owner of Texas Ready to listen to Bailey. She's called the Seed Lady for good reason. She knows her stuff. She knows her seeds. And you know what, folks? Go to TexasReady.net. Just go there, TexasReady.net, and get your seed banks while you still can. Uh, each Texas Ready seed bank contains 80-plus varieties of vegetables and fruits, including eight dual-purpose herbs, both culinary and medicinal. 
The larger banks come with training manuals, the aforementioned training manuals, which teach you to garden properly. So TexasReady.net, that's TexasReady.net, the final in ultimate authority on seeds and seed banks, TexasReady.net. Don't go anywhere else and tell them Doug and Joe sent you. That's TexasReady.net. Pastor our, David Langford, yeah. go, go ahead. Our guest this hour is Pastor David Langford. He joins us each and every Wednesday in our third hour. And um, we get into not only the political, but a lot of uh, the spiritual things that are going on in our nation and, and uh, with each other. Pastor Langford, it's great to have you back on the show. It's a great joy to be with you, brethren, tonight and with the listening audience. And we pray that God will touch people's hearts tonight and inspire them to regain their hope in Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, you know, we haven't spoken with you, Pastor, since before the inauguration, since we've last spoken. We have the 45th president installed in the Oval Office. We've seen this flurry of activity. Do you do you wish to speak on any of this that we've seen over the last five days? Sure. Let me give everyone a heads up. Go to the book of Ezra. The book of Ezra, it's right after Second Chronicles. We want to look at a couple passages in Ezra and Nehemiah. And let me say, first of all, everyone needs to maintain your guarded optimism. But what we've witnessed for the last decade and a half has been something very similar to spousal abuse. Everyone is afraid right now to have any hope. We're afraid to almost be encouraged. We're afraid to say, praise God, we want a victory. We have profuse apprehension because we have been abused mentally, spiritually, and emotionally for a decade and a half plus since 9-11. All sorts of bad Things have continued to happen relentlessly against all of us. And I know in my spirit, you know, I'm I'm still fasting right now. I'm not going to talk about how long I've been fasting, but I'm still seeking the face of God. Um, And what the devil has done, he has mentally, emotionally abused us so badly through the Bush era, through the Obama era. It's like in a bad marriage Uh, especially for a woman, she's waiting for her husband to explode and just beat the mess out of her. And she has no idea what what will be the event that makes him go ballistic. Uh, She didn't, you know, refill up his tea glass. Uh, She happened to set the fork on the wrong side of the plate. You you never know. Turn the channel on the television. Just whatever it might be, and all of a sudden an untold explosion. And believe it or not, that's what's happened to us. Uh, I have been negatively affected. You have been negatively affected. When I say you, that's rhetorical. Everyone has been negatively affected. So we are afraid to embrace the possible blessing of God because we just can't believe this could be real. This, This could actually be a reality of a reprieve, a parenthetical time of redemption. But remember... Christ is a Lord, Savior, and a Redeemer, thus he is one of redemption. Nehemiah chapter 9, excuse me, Ezra, Ezra, Nehemiah's the next book, Ezra chapter 9, verses 8 and 9, 
And now for a little space, grace hath been showed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in his holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. For we were bondmen, yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage, but hath extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia, that would be Darius and Cyrus, to give us a reviving to set up the houses of our God and to repair the desolations thereof, and to give us a wall in Judah and in Jerusalem. Now, personally, these two verses are exactly what I'm witnessing right now. For a little space, grace hath been showed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant. There's been a remnant that were faithful and never gave up. They kept fasting. They kept praying. They kept crying out to God. They kept pressing in in spite of all the opposition. I know personally I never ceased. I never ceased. Uh, this is the probably the eighth, ninth year consecutively in January that I've gone on an extended fast. It could be longer. I, I just don't remember exactly what year I started it, but I know eight at a minimum. We are that remnant. And he gave us a nail in his holy place. A nail typified two things there. It, it's a place of security. It holds something together. And we knew futuristically Christ would be nailed to a cross in his holy place. He was the shed blood that was ultimately once and for all applied to the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. That our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. Now, we're, we're, we're not out of this. We're, we're, we're not out of this. God, though, can stop anything anytime he wants to and then restart it anytime he wills. No matter what takes place at the end of the day, we have to believe that God is sovereign. Either he is or he isn't. I believe that God is sovereign in the affairs of mankind, in America, in our leadership. And I believe with all of my heart, he has given us a parenthetical time of reviving in our bondage. We were bondmen, yet our God hath not forsaken us. He has not forsaken the people of God during these this decade and a half plus of, of profuse adversity. But he's extended mercy. Mercy is nothing but a reprieve. We should have gotten hammered. We should have been destroyed. Uh, they wanted Hillary Clinton in the White House. That was what they all expected. But you see, you can't outgun God. I mean, I tell everyone, 16 Republican candidates, a news industry, and the Democratic Party, and one man defeated all those people. That's impossible. All the mockery, all the chicanery of mocking Trump, the horse laughing, the back slapping, this, the, you know, I'll give money just so you will run because we know you're going to be defeated. It didn't happen. You have to understand, and when I say we, this is rhetorical to everyone, God is always in the equation. Nobody can take God out of the equation. 
I can take myself out of the equation. I can be disobedient. I, I can do things to hinder my own walk with God. But God himself is never out of the equation because he confers life. If he wants to strike somebody dead right now, he could do it. He could take Trump right out, put Pence right in in the morning, just that quick. That's the sovereignty of God. So God has given us an element of mercy in the sight of the kings of Persia. Remember Proverbs 21, one, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, to give us a reviving, to set up the house of our God, and to repair the desolations thereof, and to give us a wall in Judah, in Jerusalem. Now, this is a time of reviving, a time of restoration, a time of bringing back. Now, now I want you to think about some of the things Trump has said. I'm, I'm going to bring back the jobs. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to bring back, you know, uh, turn over some things that's been done through executive orders. I'm going to build the wall. We'll look at the wall in a minute, Nehemiah chapter 5. But I want to go to Ezra chapter 1. Because God is sovereign in everything that's taking place. Because that's, that's why you've heard me say, I never lose hope. I've become helpless at times, but I've never lose hope. Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stood up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing. I can see Donald Trump the day he said, I'm going to run for president. God stirred up Cyrus's spirit. God could stir up Donald Trump's spirit. I'm not lauding Donald Trump. Don't think I'm exalting a man. Don't think he's, I'm looking at him as a savior. I'm telling you, God deals in men's hearts, whether they're heathens, whether they're blood-bought. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And, and, and we need to be careful right now about you know coming so adamantly against Trump because let's 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 look at it in the context that God is using him. So those that would have rather had Hillary in there, they're casting their lot with abortion, they're casting their lot with same sex marriage, they're casting their lot with sodomite. That's who they're really for. That, that, that's who they're that's really for. Verse 2, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the God of heaven, hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. We, we don't know all that God has put in Donald Trump's heart. But in the, in the first few days, we've seen him do a lot of things that are positive. Who is there among you, of all his people, his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of his place help him with silver and with gold and with goods and with beasts beside the free will offering of the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah, Benjamin, and the priest of the Levites, with all them whose spirit God had raised to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. So we see here now that God has touched the spirit of these people and has raised them up. He said he's encouraged their spirit. And all that they were about them strengthened their hands with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, and with beasts, and with precious things besides all that was willingly offered. Also Cyrus, the king, brought forth the vessels of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of Jerusalem, and had put them in the house of his gods. I want to pause there for a minute. If you go back and read Second Chronicles, of the last chapter, chapter 36, God put it in Nebuchadnezzar's heart 
to go back into the temple and act a, and collect all the vessels and take them back with them with him and put them in his treasury, preserve them, take care of them, keep them polished, keep them in pristine shape because 70 years later when his grandson Belshazzar got drunk, Daniel chapter 5, and said, go get the sacred vessels, bring them out. They got more and more drunken. And then the handwriting of God appeared on the wall. This was all by God's design. So now Cyrus has conquered Babylon. Now he has access to these temple goods. And so it says, Cyrus the king brought forth the vessels of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of Jerusalem and had put them in the house of his gods. Even those did Cyrus king of Persia bring forth by the hand of Mithridah the treasurer and numbered them unto Shezbazar the prince of Judah. And this is the charge of them, 30 chargers of gold, a thousand charges of silver, nine and twenty knives, thirty basins of gold, silver basins of a second sort, four hundred and ten, and other vessels a thousand. All the vessels of gold and of silver were five thousand and four hundred. All these did Shezbazar bring up with them of the captivity that were brought up from Babylon unto Jerusalem. So here's five thousand four hundred vessels, snuffers, uh, censers, menorah, uh, I mean, everything that's needed in temple uh, uh, implementation brought all of that back. To me, that is a sign of what Donald Trump is trying to bring back. Now, everybody needs to understand they're going to fight Donald Trump from both sides, from the Republican side and from the Democratic side. All of these people, congressmen, senators, they are all on the mammary land. And and, they want to talk down to people who are, you know, on supplement, subsidy, et cetera, et cetera. That's all these people are. They're on the mammary gland. So Donald Trump is going to infuriate. He's going to make everyone mad. Now, if it's God's will to pull the linchpin and collapse the economy, it's going to happen. That's why you need to be ready. What was one of Donald Trump's great themes in his campaign? I'm going to build a wall. Nehemiah chapter 4. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. Now, you, the, the mockery has already begun because Trump said, I'm going to make Mexico pay for it. So the mockery has already began uh, to castigate, to impinge him. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which were burned? In other words, can these Jews go back to Jerusalem and restore and build up Jerusalem again after it's been totally decimated? Seventy years has gone by now, folks. Not only the the burning, the plundering, and, and all of the bad stuff, we've got 70 years of decay on top of that. Now, Tobiah, the Ammonite, was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity. And cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out. 
from before thee. For they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So we built, so built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof. For the people had a mind to work. We cannot cease in pressing inward. I'm happy. I'm thankful. I'm grateful. I am humbled that God has given us Donald Trump and not Hillary Clinton. If you cannot rejoice over that, I don't even believe you're born again. Joe, Doug, how would you have felt Wednesday morning to seeing that Jezebel wielding the power of the President of the United States? Pastor, I'd probably be riding like the left is now. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I'm going to be breaking windows, getting that uh, big screen TV and setting cars on fire and stuff. Uh, no. But no, it was a, I yeah. mean, just the fact that there was two parts to this, uh, you know, to Trump winning. And one of those parts was to make sure Hillary Clinton did not win. I think that was understanded by, by most sensible people who've been paying attention because we saw how bad, as you mentioned, you know, Bush was and what happened during his presidency. And Transparently evil she was. And is. then Obama, and, and, and for eight years each, uh, Bush and then Obama, and the the, the job uh, situation here in this country got so much worse. The debt's gotten so much worse. The gutting of the military. I mean, just so many areas. We can go, you know, issue by issue. Yep. All of them got, you know, substantially worse. And to, to, to see that the possibility of Hillary Clinton getting in there um, it would have took the wind out of everybody's sails, I believe. We would have know, been destroyed. The point of giving up. Yeah. Yes, yes. I, I mean, but, every uh, one uh, of us would have awakened on Wednesday and been puking our stomachs out. <laughs> I mean, we just could not have stomached as a Christian, as a conservative believer. We 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 would have been so saddened and so sickened that we we just couldn't believe what we were fixing to enter into, and we knew that. Mm-hmm. This is this is what the world does not see. We could see the handwriting on the wall. But I know personally, and I'm not the only one, but I know I got on my knees and I cried out to God and I besought him with all of my heart. I said, please, God, in Jesus' name, do not let that woman become the president. And people need to understand, this is what bothers me about some people. You don't vote for a pastor. I'm a God-called man. Nobody elected me to nothing. I was called of God when I was a little boy to be a preacher. I didn't call God. He called me. We're not voting for a pastor, an evangelist, a prophet. We voted for a president. And yet you have these people. I heard, in Jesus' name, used more in this inaugural speech or this inauguration than I have heard in only God knows how long. Yeah, they said that the uh, uh, prayers were the most for any inauguration uh, in history, uh, or since they've been recording it. After nine, I'm sorry. Yeah, after nine eleven, Bush. You know, when they brought all these people up to Shea Stadium to pray together, he told, I know for a fact, I talked to some of the executive leaders and denominations. He told them, do not close any prayer in Jesus' name. That's why some didn't even bother to go. Because a Christian, Pastor, I'm sorry. Uh, say that again, just to be when clear. When George Bush was president right. after 9/11, and they they had this great invocation or yeah invocation of inviting pastors, I believe it was to Shea Stadium, 
And we were right. all going to pray collectively. He told every Protestant, do not close your prayer in Jesus' name. My I call okay. some of the I called some of the executive officials, and I asked them, I said, is that true? I tried to get a copy of the letter. My, I was out, out of the Church of God. I was no longer with them. But, and I said, would you just send me a copy of it? I said, no, you, you, you've left the denomination. If you were still with us, I would. But you turned in your ordination paper, so I, I'm not going to do that. But it is true, he told me. His name was Lamar Vest. He said, it is true. He said in the letter, do, if you come and, and we let you pray, do not close it in Jesus' name. That, you, didn't see, right. you, didn't, you didn't see that this time. And by the way, no. let me remind the people, 45 means preservation in biblical numerology. Preservation. Go ahead. Did you see the uh, Trump's new CIA chief, Pompeo, uh, just a few days ago? He made the statement that Jesus Christ is the only solution for our world, which I thought was um, That's awesome. very refreshing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Awesome. Something we haven't seen you know, coming from any head of any federal agency for a long time, if ever. I haven't seen anything like that since Reagan. In 1984, Reagan declared the Bible to be the book of the year. So 94, 204, we spent thir nearly 35 years since this nation has seen anything. And here's what's getting ready to happen. I know we're as close to the break. God is going to break forth, and he's going to move in this time frame. And that's why we've got to keep building. We've got to keep working. We've got to keep the pedal to the metal. The people must keep praying. The people must keep fasting. I believe God's going to open doors for the ministry to let the word out. It, 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 it won't last long now, folks. That, that's why he gave us a little space. That's what Ezra said. He's given us a space of grace. If people sit down, here's the problem with the church. They always get lazy and apathetic after a victory. Mm-hmm. We cannot handle a blessing. We can't handle prosperity. Just as soon as God blesses us, we, we roll up like a cheap suit and say, okay, all the work's done. And it's just a matter of time. We're, and we always go into a worse scenario than we were before. It doesn't get better if you don't stay with God. It only gets worse. I'm going to leave it with true. you till the break. I'll let you guys know. Well, no, I love that statement, Joe. Uh, space of grace. Isn't yes. that great? And what well, Pastor that. said, that's one of you know the the big concerns that um, we've been talking about here is the fact that because Trump won and because he's he's starting to keep to his promises, even though we're only a few days in, a lot of people are are putting their feet up, are saying, okay, um, you know, it's done, it's it's finished. I can mm -hmm. sit back, I can relax, I can take my foot off the gas pedal. Oh, that's a lot. And, and we can that just talks to what you were saying, Pastor Langford, um, becoming you know, apathetic, lethargic. Um, thinking not knowing how to handle uh, a win or, or success or a blessing as you said uh, and that's very important because as, as you just stated that we end up in a worse spot than we were in before we before we started Amen. and um, that's what's keeping me uh, just keep making sure I, I don't uh, take my foot off the gas because it, it almost seems too good to be true but as you said pastor uh, from the abused wife or abused spouse syndrome. Boy, that's, that's a similar. great. That's yeah. a great analogy. You know, the uh, abused spouse syndrome, abused wife syndrome. That's right, folks. We'll be back right back with Pastor Langford for our th uh, final segment of the evening. Right after these short messages, don't go anywhere.
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We have America's pastor. That's my term for him. America's pastor, Pastor David Langford, the voice of evangelism.com. His book, Revelation 13 Revealed, really made the book of Revelation, specifically Revelation chapter 13, brought it home for me. Um, as well as, well, let me tell you something. It's, it's one thing to read the Bible and, and I, I urge everyone to read the Bible. I, I love to read my Bible. I, I'm, I try to be as very um, disciplined about that. But when you can watch the Bible, hear it, and you see it and hear it, kind of experience it. Well, on uh, Pastor David Langford's website, thevoiceofevangelism.com, if you go to the media section there, for I think it's thirty-five dollars, you can actually get a DVD of the Bible, and I, I, I graciously, uh, Pastor Langford provided both Joe and I a copy of that. And what an amazing time! To, I mean, that that really is. If you want to give yourself a gift, that that would be it. It is really something to behold when you can watch and hear and experience the Bible. It's it's, um, and you can follow along, of course. In your uh, in your Bible as well. Before we get back to Pastor David Langford from the Voice of Evangelism, I just want to mention this: T.C. Joseph. Have you gotten his series of books? You've you've got to do this. This generation series of novels by T.C. Joseph. Um, book one is Precipice. Book two is Pentecost, and book three is Penance. They are fantastic reads. They take you really into the lives of three families in a world where conspiracy theories and Bible prophecies collide. They move through recent history to the events that are just on our horizon, and in some cases almost predictably going into those events. He's got a very witty style about him. His writing style is so unique. He's just a talented writer. Um, He's got just great reviews from Kirkus as well as uh, Blue Ink. And uh, that's pretty. That's pretty. It's a good thing to have on on your resume in terms of being an author. T. C. Joseph, this generation series of novels. Get your copies today. That's book one, Precipice, book two, Pentecost, and book three is Penance. Thisgenerationseries.com. Again, that's thisgenerationseries.com. With us is Pastor David Langford. Um, before the break, Pastor, you were talking about how we don't. A lot of times, we don't know how to handle. Victories. We don't know how to handle blessings. I don't know if you want to, to continue where you where you left off, or if we're going to go in another direction. No, I, I think it's important that we understand. You know, everybody loves to win, and that was that was Donald Trump's motif. He just loves to win. Well, God always wins. God never loses, and we have been so oppressed mentally and emotionally. Every day, because of 9-11, and we watch the horror, and don't think the devil does not know how to instill in these men's hearts this 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 black government, this shadow government, that they don't know how to paralyze you. Satan has 6,000 years of wisdom in dealing with humanity. He knows how to put such fright, such fear, such anxiety... I mean, with all respect, look at how many people today are on psychotropic drugs. Satan, and and this is why why we need to take this opportunity and go with it. You know, we've been talking about some meetings and stuff. This is the time to shine, because I don't know how long it will last. 
you know, I heard you and, and Doug Earl, uh, Joe earlier. The, the debt we still got a twenty trillion dollar debt. Nothing it has changed, other than like I keep saying, God has just pushed the pause button. This we will have a third world war. We're, we're going to have rioting. We're going to have chaos. But it will only happen when it's God's time. It will happen before. It will happen later. That's why I love Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. When the psalmist said in Psalms thirty-one fifteen, he said, My times are in your hand. I don't know how many times I quoted that verse until I finally got the understanding of it. I probably quoted it 250 times, and one day it hit me. I was just thinking about my life, you know, my time, 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, but it hit me. That's not what David was saying. Is it a time of war? Is it a time of peace? Is it a time of planting? Is it a time of harvesting? Is it a time of tearing down? What time is it? My times are in thy hand. And when that, you know, the illumination of that verse went off in my mind, I said, my God, I've been quoting that and I've been missing it. Now, God has given us a time. And you've heard me talk about time. You have two types of time, chronos and karyos. Chronos is the succession of time. One, two, three, four, five, six. Karyos is a divine appointed time when foreordained events have to come to pass. I will say tonight on this program, for 16 years has been the chronos to bring us to this divine appointed time. Now, the chronos time looks so ominous, so bleak, and so despairing that we all, I mean, let's just be realistic, we all lost hope. We all just said, you know what? We're going to hell in a handbasket. We can't stop it. There's nothing we can do. And, you know, but there were the remnant. That's why God always has a remnant. He had a remnant in Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. He had Daniel. They, they don't quit. They just, they just keep plodding along. They keep praying. They keep fasting. They keep staying in the Word of God because God is still in the control of everything. There's nothing that God's not in control of. When Joshua said, Lord, i got to defeat these Amorites. Let the sun stand still. It's a proven historical fact. There was a longer period in the Aztec Indians in Mexico. Uh, they had like an eight-hour longer night that time. And uh, it relates to the uh, getting Joshua the eight hours of daylight so he could win the battle. See, God can, he can stop the rotation of the earth until... It, Whatever needs to be done gets done. And, and so this is a time that I believe God has given us, and uh, I, I'm not going to stop seeking the Lord. I, I'm going to be more diligent. I'm going to try to do more to grow the ministry, to expand the ministry, to do things, because the day will come, folks, when God says, the time's up. The sand in the hourglass has run out. See, God can flip the hourglass back over and the sand start going the other way for a while. But then he, then he can flip it right back. And we got a space of grace. That's what Ezra said, a space of grace. Remember, the temple in Jerusalem would again be destroyed. So don't think anything has changed because the, the temple was destroyed. The Titus, uh, his dad, um, 
Vespasian that ultimately came to pass. But I, I want to go back to Isaiah because I picked up something there the other day that, that I've read this and read this and read this and I've shared it on this radio program probably for the last, uh, I don't know, six months between me and Steve being here. But, but Isaiah... Chapter 45, again, he's the 45th president. Again, 45 means preservation. And I'm going to read the first six verses. Isaiah chapter 45, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed to Cyrus. Cyrus was not anointed to be a prophet, to be a Levite, to be a, a temple priest. He was anointed of God, chosen, elected of God, to lay the foundations of Jerusalem again. Whose right hand I have holden, to subdue nations before him. I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the levied gates, and the gates shall not be shut. I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden treasures of secret places. Only God knows what will come out in the next few years in, in Washington, because Donald Trump is not even going to take a salary. So he may allow Jeff Sessions and Pompeo and different ones to do things that we just can't imagine is happening. This will, again, create more civil unrest. That thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the God of Israel, and Jacob my servant's sake, and Israel mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. In other words, you've never had a relationship with me, Cyrus. Trump, you've never had a relationship with me, but that has nothing to do with what I'm going to do. I use who I will. I am the Lord. There is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. God's choice, God's election, God's choosing. There's no way Trump could have done this without God. That they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. That's the key phrase, and from the west. I was reading this again the other day. He never mentions the east, the north, or the south. But with rapidity, throughout the scriptures, he's always talking about the north, the east, the south, and the west. This time, he only speaks of the west. Well, who's the greatest nation in the west? America. Sometimes, like myself, I, I, I don't get it, I don't see it, but all of a sudden, bam, the light went off. And the other day when I was reading this, that they, that would be us, may know from the rising of the sun and from the west, they, from the rising of the sun, would be in the east, all the way to China. Everybody's going to know, and it's the focus is on the west right here. This is this is unusual. No one was expecting this. It was it was a joke. It was a, it was a, it was considered a prank. It, 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 it was the biggest. I, I, I don't know the word to use. It, the biggest prank that they thought was ever been put in motion ever in history. But you cannot defeat what God does. Now, as I said earlier, we need to be cautiously guarded in our optimism. I'm going to embrace the blessing of God. Uh, I think you're, you'll see more positive things begin to happen. Uh, but I also realize when God says, I'm pulling the plug, the economy crashes. Famine, 
pestilence, earthquakes. Uh, you know, just the fact that Donald Trump says he's moving the embassy. There's already people saying this will start a, a war in the Middle East. God's going to use him for his purpose. God is going to use Donald Trump for his purpose. Right now, he's a battle axe against this nation and its own government. He's using him to go in there, and he's upsetting everything. And I have felt led from day one. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I prayed for Obama. Admittedly, I didn't pray much for him because I had a hard time. I'm not going to lie to you. It's hard to pray for a man that's so evil. But the Bible said, pray for them that in authority, that we all might lead a quiet, peaceable life. First Timothy 2 and 2. So I prayed for him. But I felt early on when Trump ran to really lift the man up in prayer. And I believe it's the remnant. It's the Christians that made a difference. And again, everyone is afraid to embrace the blessing. David said in Psalm 68, 19, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. We are literally afraid to thank God something positive is going to happen. You know, when Carter went out, Doug, you can remember this. When Carter went out and Reagan came in, everybody said, thank God. Oh. You know, I remember Jerry Falwell said, I, I might turn into a Pentecostal. I feel like shouting. <laughs> you yeah. remember that? Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, more, the, moral, the moral majority. He, he was so excited, you know, because we had somebody in there that looked at us in a positive way as far as Christendom. Well, right now, you know, I know this is politics, and you have to understand you keep politics in its box, and you keep redemption in its box. But God has the power to reach out of his box any time and mess with politics. But politics can't reach out of the box and mess with God. But God can can do the exact opposite. He can reach out of his box any time and, and mess up politics to no end. And, you know, he's getting ready to support a, a, a new Supreme Court justice. And there's fear with Ginsburg. I'm thinking it's Kennedy and a couple of the other ones that are old. Who else will he put in there? See? And, and and so I don't know how long it will last, but Ezra said you gave us a space of grace, and and, and I, I I'm not lauding the man, I'm not patting the man on the back, I'm just saying we cannot despise what God uses, and and as Nehemiah and they begin to build the wall, it said the people had a mind to work. If we if we don't keep the right mindset. If we don't keep our mind, because we've all been so beat down, we just we just can't see anything good anymore. We we we've come to the point of this abuse for so long. We just we just can't see that there could be anything good. Uh, but but you have to understand, God loves us. You know, I was going through. I'm going through the. Well, I done been through. But I was going through the book of Judges the other day. You know, every every so often, God would raise up another judge. Israel would go into captivity. He raised up another judge to live. I mean, this went on and on and on for for scores and scores of years. And, and there were times that the Bible said that God's anger waxed so greatly, he didn't want to deliver them. But he made a covenant with Abraham. And so he would raise up another judge and say, get them out. You know, and, and, and there are many, many judges in the book of Judges. And 
God because of his covenant. He, he, God cannot break covenant. Man breaks covenant. Psalms 89, 34. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the things that are going forth from my lips. When God made covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15, that is an eternal covenant. He put Abraham to sleep when he did it. That way Abraham had no part in it. And it demonstrates nothing but the sovereignty of God Almighty. And he put him to sleep for that reason, that this is solely on my part, Abraham. It has nothing to do with you. You bring nothing to the table. I bring it all. And I bless you with my covenant. And so I look at this as a time of blessing. Yes, I'm, 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 I'm still pessimistic. I'm still leery. I'm still weary. I'm, 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 you know, I'm like everybody else. But we've had, we've had defeat so long. We just think we, we, we're supposed to have defeat. We're supposed to wake up tomorrow, and there's going to be another debacle, another calamity, another disaster. Uh, we've seen so much. And, and, and I'm not saying that those things cannot happen, but I'm going to be like the psalmist in Psalms 118.24. This is the day which the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. We need to be thankful. If, if you don't have anything to thank God for, just thank God Hillary's not in the White House. If, you, if you're having a bad day tomorrow, and, you know, the, the dog took your toothbrush, and you go to get open the door, and the handle falls off, and everything's going awry, say, God, thank you, Hillary Clinton is not in the White House. Because, folks, I'm telling you, I don't think we have any idea where she would have taken us. The, the, the depravity... At, at, the, at the pace this nation was going, I mean, I, I know I would have I, I would have probably said, you know, what's the use even trying anymore? Let's just all quit uh, because it's hopeless. But the Spirit of God will never allow us to become hopeless because He never can lose hope. Romans 5 and 5, and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which is given unto us. And so the Holy Spirit will never allow us to lose hope. We, we can choose to lose hope and say, I, I quit. But, you know, think about when Jeremiah told the people, he said, you're going to be in 70 years of captivity. Build houses, marry, plant vineyards, because this is going to be a long time of this. And I'm sure they were beat down. But then all of a sudden, this new guy comes along, Cyrus, and says, you're going home. I'm going to help you get back to where you were. I'm going to help you build the temple. I don't have time to share it tonight. But but if you'll go back and you'll read in Ezra chapter 5, they questioned the validity in building the temple. And so they had to go back and dig up the scrolls and find where it was written that this would be done. Uh, Ezra 5 and 7, they sent a letter unto him where it was written thus, unto Darius the king. Be it known unto the king that we went into the province of Judea, to the house of the great God, which is built with great stones, timber is laid in the walls, and this work goeth fast on, and prospereth in their hands. Then asked we those elders, and said unto them, Who's commanded you to build this house and make up these walls? So they, they, they went back and they dug up the records. They questioned the validity of going back and rebuilding this, but it had been decreed. Well, who did that in his sovereignty? God did. And so they questioned the rebuilding of the temple, but God had made this decree. And they went back, dug up the records, and sure enough. And so Cyrus was instrumental. Now, how long this lasts, as I said, folks, I, I don't know. But enjoy it. Don't let your guard down. 
keep preparing, keeping your cash, your 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 food stocked up, because see, this is why the Bible says sudden destruction. This could be the phase I don't know, wherein they say peace and safety. First Thessalonians five. True. They may we the world may start saying peace and safety, peace and safety. Then sudden destruction. It's going to happen because God said it was. But I want the people to be encouraged. The people need to be strengthened. They need to be edified. When they begin to build this, you know their hearts. If, if, when you read the book of Nehemiah, you see them with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other hand. Building, but they was ready for war. That's right. This is what we have to do. God has given us a space of grace. Now, that's why you can't let down, because it's Sanballat, Tobiah, they were determined to destroy the work of God. There will be those who will try to destroy what God is doing. And, and, and here's, the, here's the thing we have to understand. We don't get to pick and choose who God uses. That's God's decision. God chose a foolish person called Donald Trump and everybody mocked him, ridiculed him, and castigated him. So that, that's the way. But everything they said came to naught at the end of the day. Because God says he raises them up in Psalm 75. He put, raises them up and he pulls them down. And so just like with Pharaoh, by the time Joseph had died and the years had passed, now that Pharaoh brought Jacob and Israel, the family, to Goshen, said, I'm going to give you the best part of the land. Leave all your stuff up there. I'm going to give you all new stuff. By the time Moses was going to lead Israel out of Egypt's bondage, that Pharaoh said, who is this God that I should obey? He didn't know Joseph's God because too many Pharaohs, too many presidents had already passed and served their terms. So when it got to that point, he didn't know who the God of Israel was. But the Israelites knew who he was. So he had this crass attitude. Nobody's telling me what I'm going to do. But God used them. He used Egypt to raise, clothe, house, and feed the people of God. And then after the ten plagues, he said, now you're going to get the gold, the silver, and the fine linen. And blessed them. And they went out. And so is God using a secular man? Sure he can use a secular man. Nothing is impossible with God. And and when you get so mentally abused and oppressed, you don't even believe God can do anything anymore. But he can. And, and I just want to encourage the people tonight. You know, it, this, it could change tomorrow. I don't know. I just know one thing. We are to be a light that is set on a hill that cannot be hid, and I'm determined more than ever before to let my light shine so that other men might see Jesus Christ, and I want to bring people into the kingdom of God before Jesus returns. Amen. What an uplifting, inspiring message, Pastor Langford, and it's amazing to me, um, it's amazing to me to, to, to be able to pick up the Bible and to know that we, even today, Donald Trump in office, we're not breaking any new ground I mean, look at the Bible, folks. That's right. And, and you know, it's it's and it's an, it's an, it's amazing to me what uh, it, I mean. It brings the Bible to life to me. It, just me, just a regular guy, not knowing much of anything. Um, but boy, I can I sure learn a lot when you compare present day with the biblical uh, historical context. 
You see, well, Solomon said there was nothing new under the sun. That which has been, it's going to be done again. And this is all we're witnessing. This is this has already happened before. Now, of course, it don't always last because the people don't stay faithful. That's why I don't expect the world to make a difference in this nation. I expect the Christians, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. The world is never going to make a difference in America. The world people, when I say, I'm talking about worldly-minded, secular-minded, but the Christians are making a difference in America. How long it will last, only God knows. Amen. That's right. And, and I, I, I love that uh, space of grace. That's to me. Isn't that that's awesome? In. That, that, that is awesome. In fact, I'm going to put that on an index card and uh, put that in my office. Space of grace. And God, God, I was said, in prayer one time, and, and, and uh, he showed me something. He said, you take away the G from grace, and what do you have? Race. Grace. He said, you need the grace to finish the race. And I never yeah. forgot that. And one of the things you, you said earlier, um, which uh, I've been thinking about, is you know being grateful for yeah. what we do have, being grateful that the election was not the other way around, and and really, if you can't find anything to be grateful for in a day, <laughs> man, you're that's, in trouble. That's that, one uh, thing I mean, you can you can fall back on uh, to say thank you and to pray. And, and I wanted to, to tell you this, Pastor. I don't know. Uh, I, I do a lot of uh, research on comment sections and articles on internet forums, and I have never seen so many people uh, during the election cycle uh, talk about hitting their knees and praying for the outcome that was received. I've never seen that really in an election, where you know people are just putting aside all the the political analysts and everything else and saying, "I'm just praying." Uh, that Donald Trump wins and Hillary and that's Clinton right. is not enough. And I've seen that too, and I'm glad you brought that up, but now it would be a shame to, it would be a sin to squander that. Absolutely, it would be. It would be an absolute sin, but you see, collectively, we made a difference. Amen. We made a difference. It's not your mega churches, it's not your mega pastors, it's the real salt and the people who had conviction and, and could see the writing on the wall and stood up and spoke out against the evil and said, we've got to make a change. Most churches, I won't look far if we forget it, remember, Trump is going to try to reverse that Johnson legislation back in the 60s where preachers that have 501c3s can speak out against the government yeah. and not get their taxes and status taken away from them. Let's see if he does that. Boy, that, that, that would make heads explode, let me oh, tell you. You talk about upsetting the apple cart guys, but see, <laughs> let's see what God does. That's right. Yeah, and when we can't uh, cease in our prayer, we have to continue to pray because who knows how uh, you know what God has planned for right. this nation and the people of this nation. If we just thought you know getting Trump into office was was the biggest best thing we could do, imagine what else can be done if we continue to uh, put our hope key, in the Lord. Joe. That's the key, Joe. We got to keep on. We can't let up now. Pastor, thank you so very much yes, for, for being a part of our program, and and God bless you. Um, your gracious gift of time and for all of your inspirational words tonight and your information. Thank you so much. Pastor. We love you guys. Have a great night. Everyone have a great week. What's left of it? All right. You too, Pastor. Until next time. God bless. Folks, that was David, Pastor David Langford. What I like, I affectionately call him America's pastor. I really believe that, I mean, he, he's the kind of pastor to me that, um, 
I wish I had when I was a younger guy. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, I'm serious. He, um, the you know, people this say, is, well, uh, is, is knowledge of scripture. It's yeah. his whole walk of faith. And it speaks through when he is, is preaching, when he's, when you're in a conversation with him or when he's doing interviews like this. And, and I think and, it's, and also I'll say this, I don't mean to interrupt, but yeah, I did. But, but he'll, you know, when, when, if I'm wrong on something or if I, if I, if I believe I'm right and I take it and I say, look, you know, pastor, this is what I meant, man, you know, let me tell you something. He'll smack you down and say, no, 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 no. I mean, gently velvet, you know, iron fist and a velvet glove kind of thing, but say, no, you're, you're not thinking about that. Right. So really kind of, uh, a good mentor. That'll do it for us tonight. I want to thank David Horowitz. I want to thank um, Liz Wheeler. I want to thank John for setting those up. And I want to thank Pastor Langford tomorrow. Again, Stephen Menking. And then we have, uh, I think, Pastor Keith, uh, the last name for tomorrow. But it's going to be a great show and a great rest of the week. So until then, stay safe. God bless. Have a good night.